Roadshow, episode number 262. My name is John Morgan. Cold Coffee is with me here at the expansive grounds of the Casa de Cold Coffee. And we have a special guest with us as well. Even though we're we're social distancing, we're, we'll go through all that in a second. We sanitized everything. Nobody's fist bumped. Everybody's spread apart from each other. But Mike Afanasev is here at the Casa de Cold Coffee as well. well done. You say, well done on that. Yes, good you, job. Yeah, usually I just go to the cut man, Mike. It's way easier. I just say, Mike the cut man. It's way easier. <laughs> it's so much easier. Uh, well, let's just jump into it. It's a beautiful Thursday afternoon here in Las Vegas. The traffic was especially light today, I noticed, on the way over here. It was <laughs> good. Uh, but as I said, we did we did do things the right way. You, I saw you. You wiped down all the chairs. Everything's been done. And uh, you know, Normally, I would have gave a handshake or a fist bump when right. you came in. I, I tried to give him his distance. Yeah. You know, let them come in and, and do that sort of thing. Welcome to the expansive grounds. Hopefully, you didn't get lost on the the, the gated entrance. And no, the, you know the the security guard was nice. You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, we we're expecting you. I was like, God, come thanks, right man. on in. Yeah. Well, listen, we we talked about Mike. You, you know, you being here for a long time. You and I have had some frosty beverages together before. And we said we got to do this podcast, and you know, our schedules are a little different. We never made it happen, but I, I thought this was the absolute perfect time, and I'm going to get into why I think it was the perfect time uh, a little bit later. But let's just start out first with the thing that people probably care most about, and that is the USC role, man. I, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I, I posted a picture on our, on our Patreon page uh, of you earlier, a little screen grab. I was thinking about some fights you had done, and, and uh, the one that obviously stands out right away, uh, to me anyway, is, is being in, in Rory McDonald's corner oh, against Rory McDonald and Robbie Lawler. But we'll get to all that in a second. How do you it's, – it's always weird to me, right, a, a cut man. There's no – school for being a cut man it's you know what i mean there's no uh trade uh, i guess business for i mean how do you find yourself falling into that as part of your career anyway yeah so uh i boxed and wrestled in the amateurs off and on for a while but in the grand scheme of things i can't spell the word fight but uh <laughs> but it's so fun i had my i boxed with uh jeff mayweather when i moved out here in uh kind of ironically I actually trained with uh javier mendez before aka was aka doing kickboxing there back when uh, Scotty Coker actually owned a Ernie Reyes Taekwondo studio. Wow. So we'd go in at night, and I was doing kickboxing with them. Had my last amateur fight in the Police and Fire Olympics in 2005, six, And I was like, all right, you're not going anywhere with this. Like, what are you doing? So I was going to work with Jeff to learn, you know, pick up some trade on coaching boxers and fighters and stuff. And I go, well, maybe I could learn how to wrap hands and work cuts. So Jeff put me in touch with Stitch. Uh, Jacob Duran and met him he took me out to lunch I think it was more of an interview process now to see what the motivation was right you know and he gave me the foundation for wrapping hands and working cuts and the rest of it is just had to spend time in the gym fortunately I had time in boxing gyms already and uh, one of the first fighters that actually gave me a chance was uh, Dewey Cooper oh wow yeah he's uh the first coach and fighter because um, we had the same trainer with Jeff Mayweather, and I'd never met Dewey because we were always missing each other at the gym. So I just showed up at his work one day and I'm like, "Hey, where's this Dewey dude?" And uh, so we just got together, and uh, kind of the rest is history as far as just slowly building up. Um, Mike Pyle, actually, Gray Maynard, Jay Haran, those guys when they're all over at Extreme Couture, I used to go in there for their practice, for pro practice, and I'd wrap their hands before. And you talk about getting run through the ringer these dudes are just hammering you hurry up hurry up. i gotta fight in 10 minutes what's your problem you know just messing with me and then volunteering working small shows i did uh the first mma event that i worked was the steel cage promotions with uh, richard Steele. jeez 
and then just slowly build your experience and reputation. Start off doing the uh, Ultimate Fighter reality shows here. I'd fill in for House or Stitch when they're both off doing shows. Then uh, everything really catapulted for me in the UFC when uh, they asked if I could go down to Brazil for six weeks to do the reality show there. I'm like, sure. And then I think to myself, dude, how am I going to get six weeks off of work? That's a <laughs> lot of time off. But I figured it out, and then it just kind of built up from there. That's awesome, man. So I always wonder, I mean, Stitch is a, a heck of a, a, a guy to study under, right? But, I mean, as far as, like, the, the hand-wrapping aspect, because I guess there's two parts to the job, right? I mean, the, I guess the glamour part is uh, is being in there, right? I mean, you're right. in the cage. You're getting a great you know seat. But uh, a lot of it is backstage, getting guys ready, wrapping the hands, that sort of thing. I mean, um, sh- surely a, an art to it. Does, does everybody do it? The same way? I mean, is there like a, a right way, a wrong way? I know, I know Stitch used to always say the, the knockout rap or the tap-out rap or whatever, and you do things a little bit different. I mean, do you have a, a standard way you do things, or do, uh, uh, is, a, is there a – does everybody change it up a little bit? I mean, talk about the art of the hand rap. So everybody styles a little bit different. Um, I learned, you know, from Stitch, so my foundation was his way, and then over the years I've modified how I wrap hands. I've learned a lot from, you know, the guys with a ton of experience, you know, Rudy Hernandez, Robin Rowe, Don House, and even though their hand wraps looks kind of the basics, I guess, is similar, but at the same time, they're uniquely different. And so you pick up little tips and tricks, and how I wrapped hands 10 years ago, 15 years ago, is completely different than what I do now. Um, you just learn from the fighters. It's everybody's, every fighter's different. You can't go in and say, hey, I'm going to wrap, you know, John Morgan's hands and then think it's going to be the same for – Mr. Hathaway here, it's just, you know, totally different. It, uh, is that just a feel thing or, or a need thing? Is it almost like what just makes them comfortable or because yeah. of, like, the structure of their hands? or Both. The structure of their hands, how they feel. Some guys like their hands incredibly tight. I was working with uh, Jesse Vargas doing boxing, and I'm thinking, dude, I'm going to cut the circulation off, you know, the way you like your hands wrapped <laughs> so tight. He's like, don't worry about it. And then there's other fighters that really want it super light or they want one thing, you know, padded up here. Or they've had injuries, so you have to modify. So you do a lot of – kind of learning on the fly and then with experience like anything else you do uh you're able to adapt quicker you're like oh i've seen this before or right. hey this worked on this dude or this worked on this you know this girl here this fighter so it's uh and again picking the brains of the guys that have been around for you know your don house your rudy hernandez i mean he grew up from you know a boxing family robin rose been around for ever too and those are the guys, you know, that I look up to. Oh, like stuff. Rob, he's a good dude, man. Yeah, solid. You know, I'd learn from all of them. I mean, they're all good dudes, but. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I get I get stuck on planes with him a lot because he lives in <laughs> Phoenix, and so we end up, like, I end up yeah. connecting through Phoenix a lot, so I end up seeing him a lot. Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a nice one. I can understand definitely picking the brains of, of other cut guys and getting the tips, but, man, I, I, what's it like that very first time you get a big gash, an open gash where you have just moments? Because it's not like you could really practice on a gash, it's not you can be like, hey, right. let's get with somebody, and who can we find that's opened up right now, you know? Like, what was it like for you that very first time that you, you went into one of those? I mean, what do they tell you? I mean, is it to kind of give you the, okay, make sure you go with this, go with this, this is what works for me. Try it out and, and tell me what works for you. <laughs> you know, kind of uh, the application of what we do, if you really think about it, it's pretty straightforward. We use a Q-tip that we dip in, uh, dip in a drug called uh, epinephrine. It uh, causes vasoconstriction, so that basically constricts the capillaries, slows down the bleeding, and basic first aid, direct pressure. So, so that's fun. what's on the first swab that everybody always sees when the, yeah, you come in, just jab yeah. it and hold yeah. it in there? So you dry them off, clean it, put that swab in that has epi in there, and go. So fundamentally, it's, all right, how hard is it? Just put this on here. Where the challenge comes in is you've got the fighter that might be restless. you got the coach that wants to do 
whatever they're going to do. You got a TV camera that's in the way. And then that yeah. subconscious pressure of like, oh, dude, don't screw this up because there's like 8 million people watching, you know. Right. So it's a little bit of an adrenaline rush um, in the beginning. And I remember the first cut that I worked was really nothing. It was, uh, I want to say, I can't remember the fighter's name, drawing a blank. I know he did the uh, Ultimate Fighter reality show here. Brazilian kid was at Jackson's for a while, um, like a 155-pounder. He's been cut many, many okay. years ago. I think he even fought Connor. Oh, Diego Brandao. Diego. Yep. Yeah, so he has this tiny okay, little yeah. cut. It's not yep. even his big gash. And I'm like, oh, boy, don't screw this up because if you screw this up, you're done. Like, you don't get a second chance, you know? It was like it was literally the first one that you had in the yeah, UFC. Yeah, in the big UFC, you know, event. Right. You know, I think we're in – I want to see we're in Canada, but I'm not positive. So I'll, I'll peel back the curtain a little bit on, on why I said I thought you were perfect. A, we always wanted to sit down and just talk about this stuff. But the other thing is you are a firefighter here in Clark County as well. So I guess I wanted to ask that. I mean, is is – is that part of like your? I mean, you've had paramedic training if you're a firefighter, right? So is that did that? I mean, were you, were you doing that first, or were you a cut man first? Did you already know how to deal with this stuff because of that training? So uh, I'm a paramedic. Been a paramedic for twenty shoot twenty two years now. Start off in Oakland, California as a medic, and then uh, I got hired on with the county fire department nineteen years ago, and I've continued on. So most firefighters are either paramedics or they call them advanced EMTs. So my skill set and drug base is a little bit higher than what. Uh, the EMTs can do. And most people sometimes think, oh, you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you could do this. Well, you're completely out of your environment. I mean, I'm a little bit in the environment because it's chaotic sometimes going into people's houses and stuff like that. But I remember talking to a doctor one day and he's like, I have the perfect environment in this setting. I just, somebody can hand me this, it can hand me this. And, you know, I got the light here. He goes, wow, uh, this isn't my environment. So from understanding of the medicine standpoint, yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, dude, this is a cut. I intubate people laying on the ground on the street that are, right. you know, just like an anesthesiologist does that are just all mangled up. This is nothing. Like, just take a deep breath and relax. Yeah. Like, who cares? But you do, you know, you touched on it. You do get the nerve. Because it's got to be weird. Like, I mean, I've never stood in the octagon uh, in, a, in a, you know, I've been in a cage, but not on a fight night. So I've never been in there when there's thousands of people. Like, uh, I'm pretty close to it, you know, cage side. But. Uh, are there a little bit nervous? Cause, you know, referees, I think they admit it. You know, they get a little nervous. So do you get a little – I mean, are there, the, like, really kind of – I don't want to say fear, but just that nerves of, when you run in there? Um, In the beginning, it was probably a little bit more. And now it's just as you get experience, you get better with stuff. So maybe, you know, way tucked in the back of your mind, you don't really think about it as much anymore. Okay, I've done this before. I've done this. So I've seen the coach here. Oh, hey, i got to remind him not to pour water on the dude's face after I clean everything up because you just – ruined all our work you right know? so it just comes with time and experience um so yeah there's always that a little bit of stress but it's different it's hard to describe like i'm more relaxed about it so usc 189 i said that the first fight that stuck out to me roy, roy mcdonald and, and robbie lawler of course man that was brutal and i went back and watched it because i remember you work in the corner what I didn't remember because I was there that night is I didn't watch the broadcast right so I in fact I had never actually seen the broadcast I went and watched it last night uh because I wanted to see before that fifth round kind of what was said in the corner and on the live broadcast they actually spend most of the time before the fifth round uh in Robbie's corner so we're not really seeing as much of what you did uh it, because at that point I mean Rory was an, an absolute mess man absolutely the warrior that he is man he was just covered in blood so I'm curious um I guess kind of w I want to hear what that specific moment was like. And I wonder, do you are you listening to the coaches as well? I mean, are you, are you so focused on what you, you're doing that you can't? Or do you process what's being said as well? Because I kind of wonder what was being said in that moment because that guy was 
clearly, I mean, on on fumes. So the only thing that I can remember, and there are definitely times where you can hear what the coaches are saying and what they're talking about. And I don't, yeah, if it's something minor, I'll kind of pay attention a little bit more. Like, oh, cool, let's see what kind of advice they're going to do and pick up on every right. different coach's style. But the very first round, Roy's got a gnarly, bloody nose. And his coach looked at him and he said, you are not putting anything inside his nose. And I'm thinking, man, I'm handcuffed because now I can't put, you know, the adrenaline with a cotton swab or anything else inside his nose. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not, it's not the time to debate with the coach. Right. Ultimately, they're in charge. What so. would be the advantage of that? I have no idea what hmm. the advantage or disadvantage. I'm not sure if I, – I, honestly, I don't know. So Maybe I'm it was like, even just a mental thing, right? Yeah, it's so knows. hard to say. So I'm okay. like, all right, I'm handcuffed, so we'll just do the basics, you know. Right. Pinch his nose. All right. But his nose was so messed up. Even if I had adrenaline, there was nothing that was going to stop it because once you get a high break, you're in trouble. But in each round, it's like, okay, now he's got this bloody nose and a cut, 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 and swelling. Damn it. All right, I only got two hands. <laughs> You know, and then it just keeps going on and on. In the fifth round, the start of the fifth round, get him cleaned up as best I can. I mean, there's only so much I can do. And you just try to prioritize in your head, okay, what is the doctor going to stop this for? Is he going to stop it for a bloody nose? No. Probably going to stop it for this blood that may run into his eye or the swelling. So you kind of have to shift gears. Like, okay, forget about that cut on the cheek because who cares? That's not going to. Superficial, right? Right. Just... It, the doctor's not going to stop it. This isn't going to impair his vision. And. Whether it was done on purpose or not or whatever, but just before the round comes to an end, his coach takes a bottle of water and pours it all over his face. So all the medicine, Vaseline, everything, and it just opened everything up. And I remember uh, John McCarthy was there, and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, dude, you just ruined everything. Now he just stands up like I didn't do anything. Yeah. I had never thought about the fact that the adrenaline, I mean, because we see people pour water and I get the Vaseline, you don't want that to come up. I had never thought about the fact that you're like, there's literally medicine in place that needs to sit there to help because the, the adrenaline constricts the veins, right? That's the, how it works. Yeah, the, the, the capillaries. Yeah. So it'll do that. And plus you dry them and you wipe them off. And so now you just reopen that. I'd never thought about that before. Yeah. And when he did that, I was like, oh man. And that whole show, if you go back and you look at it, Going into even, you know, Connors, that canvas was just cut with blood. And I think I worked 90% of those. And Rudy Hernandez would uh, normally would have came out to relieve me. And he's like, hey, get some experience today. Have fun. And he <laughs> left me there. <laughs> he like, F you, Rudy. You know, so, I mean, it was – no, I was actually grateful for it because Rudy, you know, gave me a lot of opportunity to work those fights and get that experience and on the big stage. And everybody had been cut in that blue corner. And then Connor comes out. And I'm thinking – and I remember telling Stidge because he was in the, the red corner – I was like, hey, everybody else has been cut. Connor might as well get cut today, too. Well, what happens? He gets cut above his eye, his right eye, in the very first round. I think, all right, there's everybody and their brother watching this fight, too. Like, all right, don't screw this up because now you get even more eyes on you. That's crazy, man. I, yeah, that's I'd forgot he got cut right after that as well. Yeah, he got caught in his, uh, yeah, just above his right eye. It wasn't anything, you know, too crazy. He was able to control it. I mean, things open up after you get smashed in the same spot over and over again, you know. Sometimes you get lucky, and there's some skill and some luck involved. No doubt. So was was Rory the the worst you've seen, or have you had to deal with other like in other sports or I, in MMA? I think globally, with all the stuff that was going on, yeah, hands down, Rory was the worst. I mean, I've seen individual injury, injuries when uh, Damian Maya fought uh, Woodley, and his eye got smashed in the opening round, 
and just started to swell. And I was like, oh, man, I got to do everything I can. And actually, toward the end of the fight, his eyes started coming around. But Damien was so calm in the corner, just sat there, just relaxed. So it makes my job easier. His coaching staff was calm. And I really only had the 10 to 1 thing, his eye. And I just remember, you know, it makes you feel good when your uh, coworkers come around. And, like, Rob and uh, Teddy Lucio came around after that for- that fight. And they're like, hey, man, dude, that was badass. And, you know, great job in there. You know, like, cool. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're watching a fight, I mean, are you are, are you watching? I mean, because I mean, obviously you got a great seat, but I mean, when you're watching a fight, are you just watching? I'm imagine you're just watching your guy more than watching the fight itself. You kind of watch both, and then you're definitely watching it, and you're looking at the TV. And things are a little bit better now for us because their uh, commissions are slowly allowing three people in. You know, before right, it was you, you used to have to kind of battle with the coach, right? Like you can't right. go in, I gotta go in. You know, and then sometimes like we'll see swelling, for example, like, hey coach, you know, his eyes starting to swell, you want us to go and take care of it? No, he's gonna be fine. You're like, dude, if we don't jump on it now, when it's close to closing, yeah. you're in trouble. And that's yeah. when you hear Rogan like, Why is somebody not putting no swell on yeah, that? Yeah, the end swell, what is yeah. going on? The end swell, yeah, yeah. what is going on? <laughs> yeah, and then sometimes the coaches won't let us in and there's no you know, yeah. that's a rule that needs is that to be a coach? changed. That's what because they So that's a coach call at that point? I mean Yeah. The coach can tell us because ultimately they're in charge and we'll just say, Hey coach, he's got a little cut or he's got swollen, you want us to go in and I'd say ninety percent of the time with the cuts, ninety nine they're gonna let us come in. With the swelling Sometimes they're a little more hesitant. But fortunately now, most of the states are saying, hey, all right, we're going to go in every single round. So now what I'll do is if I don't see any obvious injury, I let the first two coaches and the inspector go in first, and then I'll just kind of come in, clean it up, put some Vaseline on the face, and stroll out. Where And the other beautiful thing about allowing us to go in now is because there's plenty of times where I'm like, all right, cool, the fighter's facing the complete opposite side of me. Nothing you could see going on. You're like, all right. I get this round off, and then they turn, and you're like, oh, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> so then you got to get in there quick. Yeah, so. see, that that's a rule that needs to be changed. It's, it's good to hear that more commissions are adhering to it because, I, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, they're just trying to limit traffic in there to, uh, what, stop any potential cheating maybe? Like, I, 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 I wonder if it's a broadcast thing. I mean, because no, it seems it's like – it's a commission thing. I mean, well, that I get, but I wonder if it's because the, the, the commission was leaned on and said this is what works best for us, you know, because it makes no sense that they would – why they should put a cut man in even in the count like you should just that's what i'm saying the cut man should, cut should be there i think where a lot of these rules came from is they follow the boxing rules so if you look at boxing there's only one person in which is no big deal because the other two people can work over the ropes so a lot of right, they can literally just lean in from the outside lean in and work and, yeah. and so it's always just one and then the commission's kind of had to modify a little bit because they're like, all right, one coach can't possibly bring in the school, the bucket, the this, the that, do everything. I mean, it can be done, but it's better to have two. So I think a lot of the the rules, which were slowly I think you're dead right. being changed from is, hey, we got to kind of modify the rules for boxing because you can't put my hand through the – you know, through the uh, yeah. the cage, or I can't reach over. People, yeah, and you see where people try to like with the ice bag. You'll see them prop it behind their head and have the fighter just lean back to right. try to instead yeah. of having the coach in there doing it. It's just awkward as yeah. hell. Yeah, so we're slowly getting there. Slowly, uh, you know, looking at you know when we wrap hands, the amount of gauze and tape. How is it possibly fair that Paige Van Sant gets the same amount of gauze and tape as Brock Lesnar? Or Bigfoot Silva. Boy, that's a good point, too. So it doesn't make any sense. We actually uh, work with the athletic commission. They were doing kind of like an inspector's refresher course. And so they brought myself, Don House, Stitch in. And we were wrapping hands. And we're like, hey, let's measure what we 
really use here on an average like let's say there's hand. no limit we can use whatever we want let's just see what it should be what what do we do hey you're going to sign off on this anyway right so let's just measure the tape let's measure the gods and then uh they came up with you know allowing us because some uh, they'll say you got 10 feet of tape well 10 feet of tape goes by very quickly i mean if you look at your hand we'll just say four or five you got by the time you you just can't do it. Right. You just it, there's not enough tape to do it properly, and you're not giving anybody this huge advantage. You know, if you think about it, I can hit you with my elbow and my knee. So true. I'm putting gauze and tape. Over <laughs> so this. true. So yeah, is the fighter's hands going to be protected from breaking? True. But look at the big difference between the bare knuckle dudes and the guys with gloves on. Right. I think it goes both ways. There's a protection aspect. On so both do you guys have an association? Do you work with like the ringside physicians or do you know nobody at all? No, we're just independent contractors. Honestly, that's, and, uh, we just, every now and then they're slowly like asking us more direction through the UFC. Cause they kind of spearhead some of this stuff. Sure. You know, they go into, you know, the ABC meetings and they're like, Hey, it'd be valuable if maybe we can get one of you guys to come and speak and talk and educate i think when you sit down with somebody and you educate them on what we do and why we do the things it opens up the minds more where the um i mean the inspector is like oh cool or the you know the athletic commission directors etc they're you kind of get a better understanding well, it just makes sense like what you that just said i mean when you lay it out thing that should Paige happen brock yeah. lesnar not the same hand how are we, why are we you know why do we have a rule that treats them equally yeah. right yeah. yeah, you would think that they would have a process to where what you guys do should be something that they review all the time. Because let alone the techniques and stuff that you guys are always updating, it, it's just it's mind-boggling to me that the commission wouldn't have some sort of brain dump with you guys, where you guys could say, "This is what works for us. This is how we should be doing it. You need to give us this access or allow us to do this and that." You know, and it seems like that doesn't happen. What's actually happening more and more now. It really is. It's involving, and a lot of it is, hey, let's just try this here. And, you know, Nevada, one of the easiest commissions to work with. Sure. One, they trust us. We work, we see them all the time doing shows and events, and they're very open-minded. Uh, you know, Mr. Bennett and coming in, hey, okay, let's try it. We'll give it a whirl. Hey, it worked here. Then, again, it goes back to educating. Call up, you know, whoever the athletic director is in uh, California, John Blank. Hey, this is what's Major working. Foster. Yeah, there we go. Mr. Foster, this is what's working on. It's not us. It's usually – Mark Ratner, or, you know, Matt Venezuela or Stephen Quinn mm -hmm, right. will make those calls. But, hey, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. comes to education. The light bulb goes on. Oh, hey, you're yeah. right. It is nice that they kind of look at Nevada sort of as a beacon as for what's going on. Because I know when people are punished in, in one place, the, the other commissions try to honor that. You know, Absolutely. Uh, usually right. if it comes from Nevada, that's kind of been this like, well, this is what Nevada is doing. We should probably do it. So I like it that the fact that techniques and skill sets that you guys are introducing could pass their way out because the last thing you want to do is go to an event in the middle of podunk wherever and it's like taking a walk back in time right you want you want the cutmen and you want the commissions everything to to feel the same so that it can literally be a level playing field wherever you go and especially in the united states yeah things are a little more i don't want to say necessarily lax but with uh, if you go back to the antonio margarito situation when you forgot miguel cotto and, uh, well, actually, it wasn't his fight with Cotto. It was, I uh, can't remember who he was fighting at the time, John O'Blank. But they caught him cheating right. with his hand wraps. And they're like, ooh. Then they look at Cotto's face, and you're like, oh, how many times has he been doing this? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so things kind of went one extreme to the other where you almost had to stop. Okay, this is medical tape. Like, right. just because it has a writing on it doesn't mean anything. To, it sticks the same. Yeah. So it's just a big education process. Uh, and we constantly evolve. I mean, everything 
shoot, you just look at even my work as a paramedic, what things we did 23 years ago, we don't do today because we found out, hey, this is a better technique or Ooh, we probably didn't do things. The I was going to ask you, I mean, are there other, like, are there any other things that we don't think about that changes that you would implement right now if you could just have the, the pen to say, because the, the one you said right there makes perfect sense about, like, it makes a the, lot of sense. I mean, I'd never thought about it before, but it's silly. I mean, especially we have such a, I mean, it's not just this sport. I mean, boxing's the same. They have huge weight ranges or whatever, but it doesn't make any sense. Are there any other things that you deal with that you would say, man, if I could wave the magic wand right now, man, this is something I would implement or change right away? Um, possibly. You know, there's some different uh, drugs out there. Um, there's, uh, I think Title makes it called Formula 120. I think it is. Lucio's going to hear this and lose his mind because I keep forgetting. <laughs> but he's a, you know, we were trying it out because uh, adrenaline, which we normally use, used to be able to get it. There's a, it's, I don't think it's here anymore, White Cross Drugs. Used to be able to pick it up for $10. Now you can't find the Epi anywhere that we use. And if you do, it's $500 a bottle now. Holy wow. shit. What? Yeah. You know, and. Fortunately, you know, the, you know, the UFC has worked with us and we're like, hey, we can't afford Like, we can't find it. Because you guys are one. supplying your own, right? Right. So they're helping us. They're supplying okay. it with us now. Okay. You know, and so they, because one, it's difficult for us to get. And two, we can't find it anywhere. So that aspect of promotional companies definitely helping us uh, with it. But, you know, maybe there's some other stuff that we can use. Um, get the other commissions to kind of fall suit with the rule change that Nevada made with the amount of gauze and tape. I don't remember the – I think – I forgot how many yards now. I mean, it's like 40 yards combined at gauze or something. You'll never right. use that at MMA. And at the end of the day, the fighter's hands are going to dictate how much gauze and tape you're going to put on anyway. Right. I mean, too much could be just as bad as not enough in certain aspects, and they still got to fit in a glove. Yeah. So I can't take 40 yards of gauze and put it on Paige Van Sant's hands or, uh, you know, a 115-pound boxer versus, you know, a Klitschko or, you know, a Fury or one of those guys. Yeah. Your hands are ultimately going to dictate. And I think commissions – has anybody – I've never been around where they actually literally measured, okay, here's all the tape you get, here's all the gauze. They understand what's reasonable. Yeah. And now it's just getting put down on paper because a lot of these things are changes made through the state legis uh, legislator. Right. Do you have any fighters that uh, that request you all the time when you see them? Not um, – I got a handful. You know, a lot of guys, again, you've got, you know, Robin Rowe, Rudy, you know, Don House. They've been around forever. I know. That's what I was going to say. you you, you got a, a bunch of studs working around you oh, for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. You know, and there's days I'm like, man, these dudes got like nine or ten hand wraps each, and I've got one or two. <laughs> you know, it just – it's like, hey, I'll, I'll still work, but – you know, a lot of times the coaches will get comfortable with a certain, you know, it's not always the fighter. Sometimes it'd be the coach that wants, uh, hey, we want Mike or we want Rob or we want I feel this like with person. the fighters, sometimes it's just because they're superstitious more than it is. Oh, even. for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> There's 100% that, especially if you, you know, I've been, uh, I know House, we were in a corner, I can't remember, I think we were with uh, Kiesa. And he's like, hey, man, he goes, and I went in and to wrap one of his fighter's hands. He goes, hey, it's nothing personal, but. Me and House are undefeated, you know, together. Do you mind if House wraps my guy's hand? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't mind. I don't take it personal. I mean, because there is that mental aspect, you know, like you said, of the psychological side. So I don't get nearly the requests that these guys uh, get. I get a handful here and there. When I was down in Brazil, because I did the first couple Ultimate Fighter reality shows. Yeah, what was that like, being camped out down there for six weeks you know it's uh living out of a hotel for six weeks and things you don't even think about like there's no such thing as a laundromat in brazil you can't just cruise down to a local laundromat and go to the coin up and wash your clothes so you're like ooh, washing your clothes at a hotel gets expensive so we're just 
old school t-shirt in the sink and you're <laughs> 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 ringing it out and hanging it in the window but it was it was a great experience uh you know i did the the two in brazil i did the one in australia and i did the uh the one in china and i think after the one in oh, china oh you did the china one as well yeah we were there for 6 weeks and that was a that was a very unique experience cuz everything is 100% controlled by the government there. right and they were supposed to the production company was a government production company and they were supposed to provide people for to help Simon lose out of the UK, put the cage together and set things up. They're like, Nope. So Jess Gonzalez, uh, when he was down there, he's no longer with the UC working, but uh he's like, Hey, uh, do you think you can get the the other two you know, yourself, Rob, maybe talk to the judges or whatever and help <laughs> us build this cage and set up the wow. facility? So it was uh we got it done, just listen to Simon. He's like, Hey, this goes here, this goes here, but it was I had heard behind the scenes that was a challenging season. I didn't realize it was so challenging that they didn't even provide assistance to help set up the cage. Yeah, it was just one of these so many little factors, you know, and I'm I'm sure there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that I'm not even aware of, but just going through like, all right, cool, like, hey, we'll build this gym, we'll do this and help out. But just being in an environment where everything is controlled by the government, I mean, they turn it on the country's still heated by coal and we're in a five star hotel. And in the lobby of the hotel, because we're in there in, like, October-ish, so it's getting cold. There's right. days it was in the, you know, the teens and snowing, and people are all bundled up in jackets because there's no heat. Right. Government turns the heater on That's for insane. you. I guess you can pay an extra amount of money and, Holy you know, cow. expedite it. But, yeah, it's it was an experience, but I'm grateful for all those experiences and see different parts of the world just like you have, you yeah. know, traveling around. And even if I'm only there for two or three days, you're like, Wow, never in a million years I think I'd end up in Macau or, you know, Abu Dhabi or Dubai or, shoot, I've worked with uh, one of the Kazakhstan boxers. I'm like, not Kazakhstan, but so get to travel and see these things is another, you know, positive side of, I guess, this cutting out work. What do, you, what do you do during an ultimate fighter season, though? Because at least, like, the fighters have, like, other people to hang out with in a house or whatever. Like, you're there for, what, two fights a week, basically? And, like, yeah, the rest one, of the days, what are you doing? You know, the first show uh, that we did, there was a group of us just got together and we – didn't have the best training facility. So we're like, we just made do working out and a lot of walking. I've never walked so much in my entire life. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, no wonder people are in shape in the rest of the world where they got to walk. <laughs> so you drop a ton of weight there. And we just trained and worked out and took tours. And, you know, we're down in Australia. We just go to the beach and just see things. You know, and the basic rule was, hey, come fight. Hey, just be ready. Right. Do your job. But the rest of the time, you're, you're on your own. Um, we were down in Australia Larry Papadopoulos opened up his uh, Sydney Boxing Works to us because it wasn't too far from that one. They put us in an apartment, which was nice. So you can actually cook and, you know, you're not eating out for six weeks every single day. Right. Um, so we went down just explained him what he's doing. Him and his wife were like, hey, while you guys are here, come train for free. Do whatever you want. You want to come train jits? You want to do boxing, kickboxing? We're just like, wow. And then become real good friends with Larry and his wife over the years. So, again, you do develop these relationships and you find things to do and take tours and – but, yeah, it's it can be a grind <laughs> after a while. Bad. Do you still train uh, martial arts at all? No, I haven't done anything. I was doing some uh, training with Eric Nixick over in uh, Dennis Davis, doing some no-gi jits just because of the wrestling background. But my right hip and back, I had back surgery a few years ago, and my hip, it just was giving me hell. And right. wasn't very happy with me. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, maybe I can rehab it and go back into it. And, you know, I haven't even thrown a punch on a mitt in a long time or – I think the last time I even sparred with somebody was probably 2011 or 12. 
again, I can't spell the word fight, but at least I can give you some work or something. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you've definitely been a part of some epic ones, man. That Robbie Law, the Roy McDonald, it was funny. Like, just in, in getting ready for this, man, I went back and watched that fight. I hadn't watched it in a while, man. Holy God, that was that was an amazing fight. It was uh, it was one of the greatest ever. Which brings me – this is an excellent segue, by the way. Which brings me to the fight between John Jones and Alexander Gustafson, which was also a fantastic fight. It actually went into the UFC Hall of Fame, or will be going into the UFC Hall of Fame this summer, uh, assuming we get back to normal and we get to have uh, – <laughs> Assuming they can have International Fight Week. Assuming we can stuff. have International Fight Week. Assuming we can have a Hall of Fame induction ceremony. But um, – I wanted to get a chance to, to catch up with Alexander Gustafson. Obviously, John Jones really isn't in the interviewing mode right now. But uh, Alexander Gustafson, yeah, he's got other things going on. But Alexander Gustafson was, and I had a chance to speak to him actually uh, just earlier this morning. So uh, I wanted, wanted to play that for you and catch up with the mauler talking about uh, his his Hall of Fame induction and also the potential that he'll uh, he'll be fighting again. So, Alex, how you doing, sir? Good, thank you. How are you? I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for taking the time, man. I know this is a, a crazy time, so I appreciate you taking a few minutes, man. Uh, no problem. Of course, of course. Well, well, first, Alex, just tell me. I mean, how is life for you right now? I mean, uh, obviously, it's different for everybody in the world. What's uh, what's what's Sweden like right now for you? As we're all in this kind of crazy time in our lives. <coughs> uh, well, uh, it's uh, like like you said, it's crazy. We are, I mean, I just I just at home with my family right now. We don't do much at all. Try to stay away from people and from the from the city. Basically, we. Just stay in our house, and and uh, me and my uh, fiance and also my, my kids there. So we just we just take it easy, more or less. Um, if I go anywhere, I just take my dogs out for a walk. So it's, it's pretty pretty calm and relaxed. No doubt. Are you trying to are you trying to work out at all, or are you just kind of giving yourself a little time off to say, hey, you know, we, we got to put things on hold for now? No, no, I'm, I'm I do I do uh, a session a day. Not 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 a session that I usually do, but you know I go for a run or I you know I go for some hill running and do some basic stuff at home, basically just to just to, to get some energy off me. You know, um, there is not so much else you can do. Yeah, I don't have any. I don't have any any, any ways or anything like that. I just I just work in. I just work in basic basic stuff. Sure. Well, you know, before all this stuff got crazy, man, you got you. It was announced that you're going to be in the UFC Hall of Fame for your famous fight with John Jones. So I, I just wanted to ask you. I mean, I I know that there's bigger things going on in life right now, but I mean, that's your professional <clears throat> career, and knowing that you're going to be in the UFC Hall of Fame, um, did did that honor strike you? I mean, did that did that mean something to you when you when you yeah, found out this news? Of course, of course. Yeah, it's it's first of all, it's a, a, a huge honor for me just to be, to be mentioned with, with those guys in the Hall of Fame and. And this fight with John, we all know it was one of the best fights ever. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's 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 big for me, and uh, I'm very happy to to be to be a part of it and and be up there with the, with the, all of the other guys in, in the in that in that Hall of Fame division. So, um, it's it's a very big honor for me to to be there. Yeah, I mean, Alex, I know if you could rewrite history, you would have walked out that night with the belt. But, I mean, it is, as you said, one of the greatest fights in the history of the UFC. So, I mean, can you at least take some pride in that and knowing that, yeah, I didn't win that night, but I was in one of the greatest moments ever? Yeah, 100%. I learned a lot uh, after that fight about myself. And, uh, yeah, you know, I went, even if I lost that fight, I still went from basically no one to, to someone 
to to people are talking about the people are talking about me and and uh, it was just a a big uh, a big uh, turnaround in my career for sure. When somebody mentions that fight, or they or they bring it up, and I'm sure they bring it up all the time. I mean, what's what's your memory like? What's one thing that stands out that night? Whether it's a moment from the fight, or an emotion, or a feeling, or something like it, when people bring up that fight, what's the first thing that stands out to you? I was I was pretty tired after the fight. <laughs> first of all, <laughs> I felt I was very it was my first really uh, five rounder fight I did. So it was uh, I was pretty tired tired, and, and also I. I remember my, you know, my disappointment of the when I when when my hand wasn't raised and and uh, and uh, but at the same time I felt a lot of uh, a lot of pride in my in my uh, in my performance and uh, and also I I felt it from the team that even if I lost it was still it was still a big moment for for me and my team uh, right there so. Um, now it's 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 a mixture of feelings, but but most of them it's good and uh, and uh, definitely a, a, a memory to, to I will have with me in the rest of my life. Yeah, you know it's, what's funny is almost as famous as the fight itself is the hospital picture afterwards. You know where where you posted on social yeah. media. So I got how did, how did that picture come together? I mean, did, what what happened that you guys saw each other and who decided to take a picture? How how did that picture come together? Uh, I think it was a buddy of mine. I, we were at the hospital at the same time, and I was pretty much walking around there, uh, waiting, waiting to just uh, get out of there from the hospital. And I think my buddy saw John laying on the bed, and uh, and I was in another room. And then my my my, my friend said, "Ah, John is over there." So I, I I just looked out and I saw him laying there, and. Then uh, I went up to him, and I, you know, I was just uh, showing him some respect, and then we were talking about the fight, and and then my friend asked me, asked to take the picture, and then we took that picture. I think it was something like that. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Do you remember the conversation at all? What what was said between you two guys? Is it something you can share? Uh, I don't remember like that, but uh, if I remember correctly, I think it was more like you know. No, he, 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 you know, he gave me some credit for the for the fight, and uh, that, uh, and we also talked about how, how good the fight was, and it was it was just it went like from from you know up and down the whole fight, and we we talked about those details and and stuff like that. Very nice, very nice. Well, listen, we, we've we've been hearing uh, rumblings of a fight maybe this year. I mean, I know obviously the world's put on hold. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's tough to predict anything, but uh, what what is the plan right now? Is is coming back to the UFC? Is is that in the cards now? Well, the plan first of all is not to not to get that damn virus we have around <laughs> us right now, and then, and stay healthy, and, and and my kids and my family. But uh, you know, I'm in training and. I, I'm, I'm honest with you. I'm. I feel like you know. I'm 33 years old, and I feels like I got a couple more years in me. And uh, it's just uh, I have to, you know, I have to do it correctly this time. And then we were all, we were actually looking to go to to this to America just before this uh, this Corona shit happens, and uh, but to go there and train and, and stuff like that, to, just to get the feeling again and, and change the, the environment a little bit and, and stuff like that. But uh, uh, with that said, I'm you know 
I'm, I'm not, I, I can give you either a yes or no, but uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm up to training and uh, it feels good. And let's see what the future brings. I like it. Where were you planning on, on training? Back to Alliance or, or where, were you, where were you thinking? We were thinking about San Diego Alliance and you know, just go from there and see where we end up. Uh, I've been I've been home for you know, I started my career and went to, to America a lot, like I mean, several times a year to, to train and. And, uh, and I remember that feeling to, to, to get away and get that focus in and get that tunnel vision in and and be on deep water again against guys that are actually better than you. And you you, you keep, you know, it's not about the age in this sport. It's about, you know, having fun and, and keep evolving. And I, I feel like uh, I need to get out get out there in the deep waters again and test my skills against, against better guys and, 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 and keep uh, get better as a fighter first of all and then, then, then see then see what's next you know how do you make the decision Alex is it, is it like a mental evaluation or is it a physical evaluation how do you make the decision of it's, it's a mental thing I, I think because that's the, that's the type of guy type of athlete I am uh, I have very hard I'm very uh, uh, I mean um, how can you say it I'm very uh, you know, I love to be at home, and I feel very comfortable being at home with you know around my kids. And I go to the gym, and we, you know, don't get me wrong, we have some really tough, good guys at the gym. It's just you know you train with the same guys too long, and you start knowing what what the guys are going to do. So that's why I have to, you know, we're looking at uh, not even have a fight planned or anything like that, just to go out there again and and, and to America and train and. You know, you know, I want to get tested again and and uh, and, and get that feeling uh, of uh, being on deep waters, training with the guys, and that motivates me a lot too. Uh, so it's it's definitely a mental thing for me. You know, I, I'm I always prepare. I'm always prepared. My conditioning is always always there and my strength and stuff like that. But it's a mental thing. Yeah, totally understandable. Well, I guess. Uh, is it just on hold right now? I mean, we, we really don't know anything, right? I mean, this this thing, I guess we're kind of up to the coronavirus schedule, right? So you, no time frame in mind at this point? No, nothing. We're just trying to, 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 to you know, get past this uh, corona thing and then, then let's see what, what the future brings. But I, I will for sure get to America and, and train to start with and, and then see what's next. Fantastic, man. All right, brother. Well, listen, I'll let you get back to your family, man. I just want to take a few minutes and, and catch up with, the, with no. the new Hall of Famer, man. So thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. that so much. Thank you, my friend. You got thank it, brother. You. Talk soon. So there he was, Alexander Gustafson. Sounds like the, the comeback is on hold right now, but, uh, I mean, everything is on hold right now, so nothing out of the ordinary there. And uh, it definitely sounds like he's interested in fighting again. So uh, hopefully things go well this summer and we see the, the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Uh, I should say, by the way, if you like what you're hearing, do us a favor. Make sure you're logged into Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, rate us, review us. We'd appreciate all that. Five stars if you can do it. Tell a friend. Just help us grow the show. That's all we're asking. We would appreciate it. Or, uh, or you can head over to patreon.com slash the MMA Roadshow, and you can step your game up to another level. We appreciate everybody that's supporting us right now. We understand that times are tough, so I won't pitch anybody too hard right now. I understand what's going on. But if you want to do that, we would appreciate it. it we is, would gladly take your money. We, <laughs> that's a great way to put it, Cole Exclusive home of the and-a-half post-fight episodes once we do uh, have MMA going again. It may take a while <laughs> to get that going, but uh, they will be there. And, of course, I'm doing some other content 
in the meantime. So we're not uh, we're not just laying out on you right now. We're adding some extra stuff over there as well. So if you can go over to patreon.com slash the MMA Roadshow, we certainly would appreciate it. Now, I said that this was the perfect week to get Mike in, not because uh, we could talk about you know things that normally the world's moving so fast uh, that uh, we can't really get to stuff. So it's kind of fun to, to be able to just sit there and talk about that. But I, I thought the other side of your job would be very interesting for people as well because, as you said, a, a Clark County firefighter, um, so you're you're literally out there on the front lines. You were definitely uh, needed work, as we should say. Not not us that have been uh, cooped up in our house. We were definitely not necessary work. Uh, you were out there, and, and uh, you know, listen, man. Uh, we've tried to not talk too much about this pandemic thing, just because I think people want to break from it. But at the same time, it is a very real reality of the world right now. And, and fortunately, uh, it doesn't seem like Nevada is as hard hit as some places. Uh, you know, New York right now, obviously really, really suffering. Washington started out with it. But um, I just wanted to get kind of a feel from you that's out there. What is going on out there? What are you seeing? Is is it is it affecting things? I mean, our, our, our first responders, uh, I mean, concerned? Do you have to take extra steps? I mean, just what's, what's, what's life for you like out there? So, yeah, nobody saw this coming. Like, everything was just cruising along. Life was good. And then all of a sudden – our biggest complaint in life was that Israel Adesanya and Yoel Romero sucked. And that, yeah. was, that was like three <laughs> weeks ago. And I was sitting like, wow, that feels like a lifetime ago. You know, here comes this virus that just comes and smashes everybody out of nowhere. Just like, wow. Um, yeah, I'm sure in the back of, you know, people's minds, you know, first responders, things like that. Nobody obviously wants to get it. And again, we're, you think about it more now because of this, you know, pandemic. But I mean, I've had patients that have tuberculosis, you know, all these other, you know, things that you're kind of exposed to. But this one, just the way that it spreads and how it can be carried and things like this, and it's constantly evolving, you know, as science comes to play with things and studies and data comes in, they're changing things, you know, daily, weekly protocols and things we do. So we still do, you know, we're still always going to run to every single call. Somebody calls 911, we're going to be there. We've just implemented a few extra precautions on how we approach things. Um, obviously, we don't want to get patients sick. We don't want to get sick. We want to spread this thing around. So we take a few extra steps. Um, for example, if we get to a call and um, I being the paramedic, I'll generally be the lead, knock on the door. Now, every single call, I have a gown, I have a mask, I have goggles on, and I'll do some quick interviews oh, wow. with the patient, and we'll place a mask on them. And, you know, in the way I approach people – you know, this isn't that I think you have it, but hey, let's just protect each other, you know, from. So we'll do that. And we try to limit the amount of people that are in contact. Excuse me. Obviously, if, uh, you know, if somebody were to get exposed and then that person get exposed, it just snowballs. That happened to uh, San Jose Fire Department. They had quite a few people off on quarantine because it was so new. They didn't really know what was going on. And right. all of a sudden, one person in the station got it just randomly. And then, all right, not necessarily because the guys at the station got it, but they're like, ooh, let's put them in quarantine because we don't want to make sure they don't get it. So, mm-hmm. But things definitely uh, change how we approach. Like you said, fortunately here in Nevada, we're not as hard hit as New York. You know, I can speculate because we're not so densely populated. We're not smashed on subways and buses right. and apartments and things like that. So, um I think the you know the governor implemented a lot of the uh, the social distancing rules and the closures of you know restaurants, bars, and things like that, and trying to keep people away from each other. It, it was severe steps, man. I mean, when you, to I me, mean, to me, when the NBA shut down, that was the first time I was really like, oh wow, like they're yeah. shutting down, my God. And I, I will say, I, I you know, the, the governor here acted pretty quickly, and I think that probably did help us a lot. I mean, the fact that they were willing to shut down the lifeblood of our community. I mean, 
we were talking before we started recording here. I mean, we're all Las Vegas residents. I think we're all a little bit fearful for what's going to happen in this city over the next couple of weeks and months because there are a lot of people that can't work right now. Um, but I will say, man, I was, I mean, I, I think it probably did help us, right? I mean, as, uh, you know, the fact that they were willing to shut down the strip and get people out of here and, you know, we don't have people from all over the world showing up, um, it, it probably did help our community. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, you know, you look at Seattle, you know, it's a big hub, uh, California, dense population, you know, on the coast, you got cruise ships that come and you got things that come and you got planes in and out. And here all of a sudden we just, you know, it is kind of eerie when you drive down the strip and there is nobody you're like whoa these things are closed yeah and where i feel bad you know it's just that all the people that just like you guys know a lot of people in the service industry we're a service industry oh, based man. city yeah. and people are just out of work and then it's the trickle down effect you think of okay the uh, the restaurants are closed on the strip well the food supplier that supplies that their business and the guy that drives the truck or the gal that drives a truck or the person that loads that and the person that takes the order, there's nobody. Yep. So it's just this long trickle down effect of massive amount of people that are unemployed. And you're just like, man, are you guys any busier right now or less busier? Um, I would say call volumes probably, obviously the guys that work on the strip are slower because there's nothing on the strip, there's nothing on the strip right now. So their call volume has dropped. I work on the East side of town on, uh, desert in in uh, eastern area and we're i wouldn't say we're necessarily any busier um than normal it's you know some days we're maybe a couple extra calls a day and a couple other less so we're kind of status quo but again we just take the extra precautions of how we do things and how we initial you know assessment of the patient and do things just to try to minimize that risk and as this thing unfolds on a daily basis there's new and new protocols that we try to follow and again minimize our exposure i mean you just PPE alone. I mean, everybody in the world needs gowns, masks, goggles. Are you guys all right with that situation? Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're fine with it. Um, but then you sit back and you I see, you know, the nurses at Mountain View were hosting a, a protest because, you know, the hospitals, they're seeing, I might see 10 people a day. They're going to see a lot more. Yeah. Right. So their exposure rate is just this exponentially multiplies, you know, depending on what field you're in. So, and you got to think about everybody in the United States is going from the same suppliers for the same things. Yeah. And you're just like, whoa. And you got states competing with states, you know, and that's, yeah. I, I know a, a big deal that a lot of people are complaining about that a lot of the, the suppliers are coming out. Part of it are going to these high risk places, but then the rest are going to the private sector. And then you have states bidding against other states when I can see where that would be a very, very frustrating when you know that, your state's trying to get something, but it gets outbid for something. And that level of frustration of knowing that uh, there's nothing you could do about it. It's just there's just a breakdown in, in the supply. Yeah. And I mean, I'm glad I'm just, you know, a soldier versus, you know, the admin, you know, our chiefs and yeah. our deputy chiefs are working around the clock trying to work with the medical directors to stay on top of things on top of, all right, hey, where can we find these things to keep, you know, the men and women that are, you know, on the front lines protected. I know they're doing everything they possibly can. And it's, you know what are you guys doing are people making the mistake or is it a mistake to call you guys saying i'm i'm feeling symptoms and calling you guys are they expecting you guys to come out or do you guys just immediately say no you need to be calling your hospital or your 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 own provider i mean are you guys dealing with having to to make that discussion with people calling you saying i'm feeling sick can you come check me out is that happening um so the way when you pick up the phone you call 911 It'll go through a dispatch. Like, I think it starts off in Metro and be like, hey, do you want police, fire, medical? You know, hey, 
whatever you need. Okay, you need medical, and then it'll ship over to our dispatch center. And then there's a series of questions that they ask them. You know, what is the problem? Hey, they can't breathe, they can't do this. And so based off of how they answer questions, they prioritize calls. And there's alpha, which is traditionally the least sick. Nobody drives, you know, lights and sirens. We just take our time and get there. And then everything else starts going bravo. Okay, a little more sick, Charlie, a little more delta. Oh, maybe they're dying. Echo, the world's coming to an end. So they're based off of what the presentation is. Now, our dispatch isn't going to say, no, we're not coming. We just might not drive lights and sirens to get there. And then the private agency as well, Medic West, AMR community, they take a larger majority of those non-emergency calls. I mean, they're still in emergency, but they're a lower level than what we actually see. So no one's telling anybody no. Now, when we get there and you do an assessment, technically I can't tell everybody, hey, because I'm not a doctor, I don't have that education, but we can use a little bit of common sense sometimes. And sometimes we could steer people away from the hospital. I mean, the last place you want to be is... The hospital ground zero right. yeah and this even before the pandemic i mean there's certain times you just don't want to inundate er systems plus it's just the pure exposure to being around sick people you don't want so you try to steer people into like a quick care or their primary care doctors sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't because doctor's office overfill yeah try to make a point with my doctor and he said three weeks well okay you know and it's such a dynamic complex but by no means are we telling people no nope, we're not coming um, it just might not be lights and sirens getting done. Yeah. So let me blend the two professions together right now because this is the big discussion in mixed martial arts, right? If you got a call right now, we don't know what's going on with UFC 249, for instance, right? I don't know. I, I Maybe you know. I know. I haven't, I haven't heard I mean, nothing. I, I, I don't know anything about what's going on. And usually I try to know something, and, and I don't know. But if for some reason they said, hey, it is April 18th. We got a spot. I don't know where it is, but we got a spot. And then, you know what? For argument's sake, let's say it's domestic. We know it's somewhere here in the United States. So it's not international travel. It's domestic travel. Uh, we need you. We'd like you. Are you available? Would you take it? Would you take the assignment, or does it does it scare you right now? Not. I'm not really necessarily scared, to be honest with you. Um, I would take the assignment based off of location and where it is. I mean, if it were somewhere out of the country, more than likely I would turn that down just because I'm – there's a high probability I'm going to be put on an automatic quarantine at work for 14 days, so it doesn't really make any sense well, to does make sense, yeah. To do this. You know, how are they flying me? Are they going to charter a jet and load a bunch of people up from Vegas so that they can go through? Or are you going to – so there's, it's such a dynamic, uh, you know, to give you a solid yes or a solid no. No on the international is pretty, pretty solid on that um, just because – I'm going to be put on the shelf for 14 days at work, and that's not fair to the you know the other men and women that I got to backfill. Right. Maybe by no choice. Well, that's what I, I you know like for instance I I've said you know I've said I'm going to be there if if I'm allowed to if UFC 249 does happen and I'm allowed to be there if media is allowed I'll be there. But I have said like again now international that gets a little scary. I could deal with a 14 day quarantine because we're quarantined basically now. We're not out in the public. You know we're just we're just hanging out working at home. Um, but if it was like, for instance, if they're like, "Hey, we found a spot in New York," you know, like, nah, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm pretty, you yeah, know what I mean? Like, right. I'm, I'm pretty New York, good. New Jersey, I'm like, nah, we ain't going. Yeah, to we're not, coast. we're not doing that. <laughs> so I, I, I agree. I, I think you got to assess it. I guess here's the, the thing that, and I, and I hate getting too like in like because this is a, an ongoing thing, and as you said, we're learning about it, man. It's evolving all the time. But but I'm trying to imagine moving forward because I guess that's the thing is that 
you know, there's an argument to be had whether UFC 249 should happen. Whether you know, we we just found out, you know, recently Habib is is basically bowing out and saying, "Listen, I'm I'm staying where I'm at." And I don't think anybody can blame him, man. He's already right. gone from San Jose to Abu Dhabi to Russia. Now there's an international travel ban, and he's saying, "Dude, I'm I've had enough. I'm done." I get it. So I'm not blaming him. But we lost Habib, and and, and Dana's still saying, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this thing done." And there's an argument over whether it should happen or not. I've said I'll be there, but I guess my mindset is moving forward because. This thing is not, you know, if we stay indoors till May 1st or June 1st or July 1st, like, it ain't going away. I mean, we're not going to have a, as, as far as I understand, we're not going to have a cure or, you know, uh, you know, for this thing for a while. So we're going to have to deal with it. So I wonder, like, do you think that for, you know, the rest of this year or the rest of moving forward that there may be changes in the MMA space that we need to make? The way events are held, the way you operate, the way your job is done. I mean, do you think there's things – because I do feel like – there, and I know I'm in the minority when I when I say this because I've I've seen most of the media out there and, and I I know I'm very much in the me, in the minority when I say this. I do believe there's a way to operate in this environment. I just believe that we have to be very very careful in how we do it and we have to take certain precautions. So you working even closer with the fighters than I do, of course. I mean, right there up on them. I mean, you guys already wear gloves and that sort of thing. Um, and of course, you being a, an educated first responder as well. I wonder. Do you believe that we can do this safely, or is the right thing to do just shut everything down until we have a cure for this thing? I think there's, you know, again, ways that things can be done safely in all aspects of, you know, not just the fight world. Again, I know the UFC would, you know, talk with, you know, the medical doctors that they have there, and obviously they're going to make things in the best interest and the safety first for, you know, the the employees, the fighters, and the people, because the last thing you want to do is, oh, we made a bad decision on this. So, of course, they're going to be, you know, consulting those things, but... Again, just brainstorming with the limited education that I have. We're like, all right, could we still have Best Buy open, but you have to sit in the parking lot and you instead of grabbing a ticket like you do at the meat counter, they're going to text you, hey, okay, we're only going to let 15 people in the store. Cool, we'll give you a, a notification when you can come in. Another thing, I don't know in this, I don't know if, say, I got the the virus and just didn't know it December, right. January or anybody. Do you know do you develop antibodies for it? So you've already had it once, so you're probably not going to get it again. Could we test people for antibodies? Again, I don't know if that's even an option. I know certain disease processes your body has those antibodies which means you've had it or at one time or another. Does it still apply to this one? I'm not educated enough to say yes. Right. But if that was and you just say, "Okay, the three of us we already had it. We got the antibodies. Cool. Go to work cuz you're not going to get it and you're not going to expose anybody." Is that an option? You know, I mean, it's so far ahead of my tiny little brain to be able to <laughs> to handle and process, you know, because you've got all these, you know, doctors, epidemiologists, you know, infectious disease people that are just, they're collecting data and studying now because I think a lot of decisions we're making in the beginning were probably pseudo on the fly, you know, right. based off of historical stuff with H1N1, these different little SARS and, you know, because this is kind of a form of it. Uh now let's collect the data. Let's get the science behind it so we can make better informed decisions versus we hope this is the right decision. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, just me, just again, and you're right. I will not pretend to be an expert on this in any stretch of the imagination, but just my thought process is I would probably think that we're not going to see many sporting events held uh, with crowds for much of this year, I would think. And, and I would think, I mean, the apex is there, man. I, I would love to see the UFC just say, listen, I mean, first – Again, we got to get Nevada open, which is it isn't yet. Right. We we just had the government order. Uh, we're closed through April 30th now. Originally, it was April 15th or 16th, I believe, was yeah. the original date. Now it's April 30th, which totally understandable. 
I can't imagine the athletic commission uh, would even bother meeting until then. So, I mean, we're, we're still a ways out. But, man, if we can get to a point where Nevada's open again, I would love to see just the remainder of the schedule be held at the apex. No crowds. Uh, very limited personnel, obviously. You know, folks like yourself that have to be in there. And um, it does seem like, you know, I guess testing would probably be nice if everybody could be tested so we could be aware. I guess that would probably be beneficial as well. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I agree with you. And, again, Obviously, the, the UFC would consult with, you know, without a commissions, what the direction of the governor is going to go. And then, of course, you know, the medical team that they have, you know, behind them with their uh, variety of doctors and doctors that know doctors and going to make the right, you know, decision for everybody involved. You know, the athletes, the inspectors, the, the media. I mean, it's just it's a gigantic, dynamic situation. It's not just affecting one person. You got the potential of all these people. So, yeah. Could I see that happening? Sure. Um, I mean, I'd love to go back and have the roar of the crowd of, you know, the T-Mobile yeah. arena, you know, sold out International Fight Week, and here we go, let's see what happens. In, uh, but a lot of unknowns in this uh, crazy time that we're in right now. It changes every day. It changes every day. All right, so listen, uh, I, I got one other interview I want to share. Kind of funny. I mean, we're talking about how coronavirus has impacted everybody. The biggest thing I think it's done to everybody is just slowed life the hell down, man, right? Like we're all stuck in our house and we're all not, you know, talking to people the way we used to. And I know this is weird, but the it's a name popped into my head when I started thinking about the position that we're all in. It's TJ Dillashaw, you know, a guy that uh, – a former UFC champion uh, and, you know, tested positive, man. He was suspended. And – uh immediately went from I mean there were all these conversations about where he ranks pound for pound you know and what what it would mean to be the first guy to go down and pick up another belt and be the champ champ instead of moving up and and all these things and and then in the blink of an eye man he's gone and uh to his credit you know he did at the time and uh it was it was it was funny that the the time because his statement where he came out and made like an Instagram social media post it was literally about one year ago exactly where he just owned up to everything and said, man, I was wrong. I made a mistake, and I'm going to fight my way back from this. But um, it made me think because he was a guy that was literally at the center of of the universe in MMA, man. I mean, all this pound-for-pound discussion and then kind of had to recess into the shadows, you know, and and his life slowed down tremendously. So um, I reached out to him to see if he'd be willing to talk. I haven't seen uh, him do too many interviews since that original statement. And uh, he was, man. He was willing to talk, and and, uh, I I thought we had a very – productive conversation so uh here was a conversation i had earlier this week with tj dillashaw yo what's going on man how are you i'm good man how are you doing brother uh, it's been good it's been good awesome man i appreciate it's been taking a long time i was gonna say yeah. man yeah yeah you know it's funny is this, this still a good time for you yeah it's still a great time yeah awesome man no it, everyone's got too much time right now <laughs> well tj dude i'm gonna tell you i mean this may sound weird but that's exactly what made me think of you man like all this stuff is going on, right? And, like, all of our worlds are just slowing down. Like, you know, we, we go, 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 and all of a sudden, like, now we just stop. And, honestly, it made me think yeah. about you, dude, because, you know, man, dude, you were – you were everything was flying, man. You were, the, you know, superstar, you know, champ, champ, uh, top pound for pound, and then all of a sudden you just get completely pulled out of the sport, right? And, and you've got to be at home, and, you, and you've got to be out of the spotlight. And I don't know, man. It made me think about you, like – how's it been like what's this time off away from the sport that i know you love like what's it been like for you um you know at first it was uh super tough man i mean not not just being away from the sport but obviously the way that i did you know um it was tough tough to deal with um then i went through two shoulder surgeries back to back so that was uh that kind of added to it right it was kind of down in the dumps being on top of the world down to the 
complete as bottom as you can get, and then uh, go ahead and get yourself uh, limped up and get double shoulder surgery, something I've been needing to do for the last three years I, I was fighting, but kept putting it off because, you know, you have the next big fight, the next big fight, the next big fight is always like, oh, maybe later, maybe later. But, uh, you know, as soon as I got that downtime, I decided to get shoulder surgery. And so, you know, that didn't, that didn't help with uh, my mental mindset at the time either. So yeah. talk about really having, really having to lay low, you know what I mean? It was, uh, it was tough, man. It, it was, it was, I mean, I'm not going to lie. You know, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. At first, it was uh, real, real tough, but, um, you know, I've always been very mentally strong. I've always been one to work my ass off, and uh, this has been actually one of one of the best. I would never choose to do this, but best breaks I've had in a long time ever, actually, and actually got to uh, focus on other parts of my life, you know. Um, I got to spend the last year and a couple months now with my son, He's uh, a little over two years old, so you know I got to be uh, uh, obviously a lot more at home. Um, I've been able to get involved in business, which I have a few business ventures now that are really, really taking off for me, and uh, something I would have never had time to put put time into. And now I know I can feel comfortable when I decide to hang them up and uh, and be done. You know, um, I've had time to focus on things outside of outside of fighting. Um, you know, and at first that. There wasn't those outlets. I mean, they were still there, but it was just, uh, there was a lot weighing on me, you know? I mean, which it should be. I did something that I very highly regret, and I've come out publicly and said that, and I've owned up to everything I've done, um, you know, and then and, and paying the price for it. But ultimately, yeah, you know, I mean, to say it's been a, bl- a blessing in disguise, but, uh, you know, I would never, like you said, I would never choose to do it again, but it really has been. You do. I mean, you manned up to, like you said, man. I, I don't think anybody can question the way you handled it afterwards. Just saying, hey, man, I made this mistake. I apologize. I'm not going to do it again. Do you remember? I mean, do you remember like the moment you decided, like, I'm going to take this course of action? Like, damn it, I'm. I'm I mean, was there like a was it like a hard moment for you, or a, like a decision, or was it like something you did on a whim and didn't really weigh the consequences? What was that like for you? That was just something I felt like I knew I had to do. You know, um, I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't have to think about it. I just knew it. Um, and I'm glad I did. I mean, I could hide behind stories and make shit up. Um, you know, I, I, I did it, you know, so what's the point of running from it? I feel like it would have been a lot harder to, to live alive rather than to just own up to it, you know? Um, it was just the, the best, the best action I feel like, you know? I mean, I kind of learned that, I guess, as a kid, you know, get in trouble and own up to it. My dad was always big on that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I, I mean, the, 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 I guess, did you deal with social media or anything? For I mean, how, you're in a good place right now. It sounds like you're in a good spot. And it sounds like you're saying, hey, I know I messed up, but I'm I'm happy now. But, I mean, I, I'm imagining that probably wasn't it right away, right? I mean, were there some dark no, times? Hell, no. <laughs> <laughs> hell no, man. That was definitely some dark times. I mean, 2019 was the hardest year of my life, by far. You know? um, something I brought on myself. But by far the hardest year I've ever had. Um, it was mentally draining and just uh, – yeah, man. I mean, like I said, I was down in the dumps and then having to be slinged up, you know, each shoulder had to be in a sling for six weeks. I had to do them two months apart. So, um, like I said, I really feel like that weighed on me a lot too. You know, not only was I, you know, ridiculed and, 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 and driven through the mud, um, which was like, again, again, my fault, but, uh, I was also lamed up. I couldn't like, it wasn't like I can go escape and go work out and, uh, I don't know. I couldn't live normal life. You know what yeah. I mean? I was uh, in a sling. I, I would have got them done at the same time, but I wasn't able to feed myself or wipe my own ass or anything like that. So I had to do them uh, two months apart. And 
So it's been, shoot, man, I just started getting back into the swing of some things. Um, been doing a ton of strength training. I was finally getting back into doing some martial arts training, but then uh, we got this uh, coronavirus lockdown now. So uh, I'm able to still do my strength training, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to set up a gym in my garage so I can at least hit the bag or something, <laughs> you know, I, which is which is kind of exciting. I have that itch, you know what I mean? Um when, when you're in the, the thick of things, you obviously I have the itch to always be the best and always push myself to the extreme because I want to be the best at all times. But now I just have that itch to want to be in the gym. You know what I mean? Like to want to get better and have the time to do it. Um, I was rolling some gi jiu-jitsu. I've been doing things I haven't been able to do in a long time. I've been actually getting to put some serious weight on my body, which has been nice. Um, my coach has got me walking around 168 pounds right now doing a bunch of heavy lifting. I've never had time to actually really stack on some strength and muscle because when you're in fight camp, you can't do it the right way. You know, you can train, but if you really want to put on some size and muscle, you need that time off. That's the only thing you can focus on is just that. So, you know, there's some things I'm, I'm going to come back. I'm actually going to have some healthy shoulders, something I didn't have the last three years of fighting. And, uh, I want to be stronger than ever, man. I got some, I got some shit to prove. <laughs> <laughs> still bantamweight? I mean, even walking around 168 right now, are you still going to cut down to bantamweight? Uh, we'll see how my body reacts. I'd imagine as soon as I get back to like full training, I'll probably naturally start leaning down. I'll just be a, probably a bigger 35er, but we'll see, man. We'll see what uh, what happens. But I definitely will never cut too much weight again, that's for sure. I mean, that's <laughs> got, me into this, got me into this whole mess, man. Um, you know, I, I wanted to do something that my body was telling me I couldn't, and... Uh, I wanted to push through it, and I wanted to get that opportunity. I let, I let the opportunity get the better of me. It's weird, man, because, you know, your competitive drive, I mean, that's always been like your famous trait, right? I mean, the, the stories of you coming yeah. in like a wild man in your early days of sparring and stuff and trying to take everybody's head off. I mean, that's always been who you are. Are you going to have – I mean, do yeah. you think – you're going to have to dial that down a little bit. I mean, was it that, that fuel for, you know, for, for being the best in competition? I mean, do you have to, on the one hand, I got to say that's probably a, an amazing trait for you to drive you, but on the other hand, it drove you maybe too far. It did, man. Um, I, I wanted something that wasn't reachable, you know. Um, it was, and there was a sign that was trying to tell me that, and I tried to find whatever way I possibly could to, to get by that. But, um, no, I'll still have that, dude. I mean, that, that doesn't go away. That I'm bred with that. I was born with that. You know, I... Uh, my family raised me to be that way, and uh, that's something that, that that edge I'll never get rid of. Um, but you got to learn to control it, right? I mean, you got to learn to to put it, put a limit to it. No doubt. Have you been watching fights in the meantime, or has it been too tough? Have you been keeping up with the division and, and, and stuff, or has it been easier to just try to unplug from it? Man, I really don't have been watching. Every now and then, when there's a hyped up fight, I'll watch it, or if I'm around guys that want to watch the fight, kind of thing. But when I, it's been yeah. I mean, I, I've never been one that's been one to watch all the fights anyways. Um, I'll watch my opponent a lot when I'm in fight camp and watch his fights and stuff, but I don't come home and want to turn the fights on when I'm on the weekend because for me it's kind of like bringing work home. When I see guys walking out and getting ready for fights, it almost gives me like fight anxiety. You know what I mean? Like right. like I can't calm down, like my heartbeat raises. I'm like, I feel like I'm getting ready for a fight. It almost is like I want to be home and relax and forget about my day job. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, then times times 10 with being on a suspension you know um makes you think about uh what you had and what you were doing and uh just get, get your mind start thinking about it when you're trying to forget about that shit I guess. <laughs> no doubt i mean look it's still eight months away before you can come back but i mean how soon do you start talking about taking a fight i mean are you saying one day after the suspension is up if there's a card i want to be on it or do you take some time to ease back in <laughs> what, what what do you think the plan is yeah, man, I don't know. I, I just kind of thought about that. I guess whatever opportunity is in front of me, if it's uh, something that makes, like, 
if it's a fight that I can't turn down, then yeah, obviously I, I jump right back into it. I mean, I'll be ready. I'm going to get back to training and I'll, I'll definitely be ready for those, that time. But uh, it's like I'm in a, a certain rush either too, you know, to, to figure out, see how the cards fly and what's going to happen with the division and I don't know, man. It's a long way before. When you start thinking about fights, you're always thinking about a couple months ahead, you know? So it's yeah. like, all right, this is my fight. It's hard to think eight months. I've never had, never had time like this, you know? No doubt. Did anybody, uh, I'm sure yeah. you paid attention to people talking shit. Like you said, there were people that, that were coming at you. I mean, did anybody, did you, did you write down any notes somewhere saying, Oh, once I get back, that dude's going to pay for it. I mean, did anybody get on your <laughs> list like that? No, man, it's, it's hard to like hold grudges because like I did it. You know what I mean? I made the mistake. I mean, I dirtied my name myself. There's no, I mean, it's not on anybody else. I mean, I gave them the fuel, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it fucking hurts, but, uh, I'm not going to hold a grudge over it. I understand. I mean, that's kind of the, that, that is kind of the payment, right? And like I said, I owned up to it and I'm going to pay for it. And that's part of the payment. You know, part of the payment is, like I said, I, I dirtied that, my name up and uh, it's something I got to live with now. Um, if I try to hold on to those grudges, it's more of me thinking about the past when I've already fucking moved on. You know, I mean, I, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to, to push for that next goal and for getting my belt back. You know, I want to be a. <laughs> now I guess I get the opportunity to be a, a three-time champion, which is absurd. Uh, <laughs> I don't feel like it, I don't feel like I should have lost it the first time. You know what I mean? But uh, I get to I get to recapture it all over again. I get to go through this fucking process the third time. That's crazy, man. You know, I mean, obviously it's not necessarily your job to teach other people, but I mean, if there was some like young kid in the gym that came up to you and was like. Hey man, what do you think? I, you know, some guy says he can help me out, or this thing will help me do a little better. Well, you know, what's your take? I mean, are you now a guy that says, oh, "Don't you know, do it"? I'm a perfect example. Don't do it. Yeah, man, I'm a perfect <laughs> example of it. You know what I mean? I'd be, I'd be an idiot to say anything else. I mean, um, hundred percent, man. Um, and I have been, I have been helping out. I got, got fighters I've been coaching and helping out with um, that were on the teammates, right? I mean, mainly I was just training with them, but when I was injured, I was helping run practices and things like that. Um, which I got into a little bit of trouble um, because I wasn't allowed to coach, I guess, with being in suspension. Oh, yeah. And I didn't realize that, you know. And so I had to uh, get pulled out of one arch lettuce corner, which I would have never done it if I would have known I was breaking any rules. But uh, So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would like to lead by example. And a new example is uh, don't do what I did. You know what I mean, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I lead by example to show people what to do, but uh, one of those instances is not like to show what not to do. Yeah, I know you, you probably don't feel like a guy that can come in and call his shots or whatever, but what do you think? I mean, when you step back in, like, what, I guess, what's your goal? Like, what would be your perfect career path? And, I mean, are you concerned about, you know, can you step back in at a championship level after two years? Or, do, I mean, I hate to call it oh, a yeah. warm-up fight because no, nobody's a warm-up fight in the UFC, right? But, I mean, yeah. do you feel like you got to yeah. ease your way in there a little bit? No, I mean, I'm hoping they don't They don't even have me do that. I'm hoping they're just going to be like, Look, don't make it the dogs. I mean, if I, if I can't get that title fight, I want someone in the top five so that I can get my title fight. I'm not here to play around on best games. I want my belt back. That's still mine. Um, you know, I'll be ready. I mean, Dominic Cruz is the perfect guy to, to prove that point. That uh, It's a mindset, man. Uh, ring rust and tune-ups and all that stuff. I'm gonna, I'll be training like I'm getting ready for a fight. You learn how to fight from practice. And if you're not learning how to fight from practice, then you're not training correctly. You know, um, there, there shouldn't be ring rust. If, if, if you can't deal with it mentally, then yeah, there's going to be some ring rust. But you know what, man? I'm mentally strong. I'll shake this thing. Um, like I said, I, I was told I'd get that title fight when I came back, but that doesn't mean anything. I made a mistake. So I'm not, I'm not, 
I'm not, I don't own, I don't own rights to anything, right? But uh, if it was my choice, it'd be title fight, if not top five, to prove that I get that title fight, you know? That's awesome, man. So, like I, I said, I, make, I think that makes sense. I, I agree. I mean, you're definitely right there. So, I I, uh, I guess, you know, my like I said when I started, I mean, my biggest question is, I wonder how TJ Dillashaw is doing right now, man. It's been a while. I wonder how he's doing. <laughs> so, if somebody were to ask it, how would you answer that question? How is TJ Dillashaw doing? I'm actually doing really well, man. Um, I'm in a good place right now. You know, you would ask me that um, a year ago, I would have been in a horrible place. You know what I mean? I would have been as low as you could possibly be. But it's crazy what that year has done. Um, the businesses I've started um, and the, the life I've created outside of fighting. Because um, not only was I not, uh, like I said, I was laid out, I had surgery, so I couldn't train. You know, it wasn't like the, I could still stay in the gym and take my mind off it and train and, and, and dig myself a deeper hole with thinking about fighting, but I couldn't even train. So I had to find another, uh, I had to find um, something to do and something to keep me busy other than, Obviously, family life. Family life has been the savior. My son has been the ultimate savior to my situation. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been w- w- super close from it. And uh, this quarantine, uh, shoot, life's no different for us. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> We're just uh, hanging out. And, yeah, I mean, I'm doing really good, man. I really am. Um, so, I, no complaints on my end, you know? Perfect, man. That's awesome, brother. Well, listen, I, I appreciate you taking a few minutes, man. Like I said, uh, I know it's been a hard time, so I'm glad to hear that you're doing a lot better, man. And, uh, dude, uh, I guess we'll, once we, we get a little closer, maybe we'll catch up again and, and see what the plan is to get you back in the cage. Hell yeah, man. I'm coming back with a vengeance. I'm coming back to fight as much as possible. I, you know, I want that title, and I want it right away. Um, i got some more title fences to make. My, my weight class is very exciting. I've got some exciting stuff, I feel like, in, in the weight class. You know, we got Aldo coming down. We obviously have... Cejudo in his mouth, uh, maybe coming back out of injury. Um, you know, we got some young up and comers. Corey Sanhagen's looking awesome. I've trained with him in the past, and he's in the weight class now. I mean, we got, I mean, tons of guys. You know what I mean? So it, it's we don't have a lackluster of, uh, of fighters, but now we just need this uh, batters to get cleared up so we can actually uh, get these fights going again. You know, it's uh, it's a crazy time, man. I would have never guessed that's what we'd be doing right now. All right, that was T.J. Dillashaw. Listen, uh, I, I appreciate his honesty, and it was good to talk to him. I mean, you can't ever um, stand up for what he did. I mean, he, he cheated, and he's he's owning it, and um, I like that, man. You know, it's not – it won't ever try to justify what he did up front, but uh, I do believe in life in general, uh, much less sports, man. The way you handle things afterwards, I think, uh, shows your character. And, and uh, you know, listen, he's going to get shit. There's no question about it. People are always – it's, it's going to follow him for the rest of his career, but – um, I, I am kind of uh, excited to see him back, and, and I appreciate the way he's uh, he's handled things. So, guys, uh, I, I, I want to ask you how, how you've been dealing with uh, quarantine life because I, I've got to be honest, it's it's not going good for me, I, and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you how I know this. Um, the other day, I, uh, I watched an entire car race that was simulated. It was this, it, I, it, I don't know what they call it, I-League or something. Or It, it, it was basically, it's, it's, it, it looks like a very nice video game. In fact, I damn near went and see if I could download the video game. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's uh, basically they, they had professional drivers all in simulators at their houses. And, and they were explaining, like, some people had really, really nice setups. Other people had just, like, normal gaming setups that you and I would have. But they competed in this race 
on uh, on uh, what do they call Sears Point or whatever I believe is the name of the track. Um, and I watched. It was just like an hour and fifteen minutes. I watched. All, all of it. I wow. watched the whole thing from start to finish. That's that's how desperate I am for sports right now. That's how, pretty bad. How, how, how have you guys found <laughs> yourself doing anything, uh, or is it just me? I'm just I'm just well, a real. I, I will admit that uh, yesterday, old Agent H put on. Uh, well, she's been watching it, and I, I found myself after, even though the first day or so when I saw her watching it, I was like, "This is absolutely ridiculous and crap. I can't believe you're watching." But yesterday, uh, Jungle Island, Love Island. Love Island. Is that what it's called? It's like, uh, you got me, It's buddy. like some viral Look, you're show. Trying, like you're trying to latch us yeah. in. Like, bro, uh, guys, I don't know what it's called. You know what it's, you called. Know what it's, it's called. called. What's it called? Love Island or something. But it's like it's like a uh, – I think it's a British show because everybody has an accent or something like that. Right. But they're all in a house, and it's just guys and girls, who's hitting on who, who's doing whatever. It's like the most ridiculous show that typically any of that reality shit, I just like – I'm like, what are you doing? Turn this off. Turn this off. And then last night um, when we were eating, she likes to watch with the TV on. And she's like, well, let's just try this. I want you to try this. I was like, no, no. And I was like, wait, why is she dating him now? Like, I thought she was with so-and-so. And And it's the most ridiculous because I remember seeing people tweet about it saying like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm watching this show or whatever. I think Cormier even watched it or something. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm confusing that with just the Tiger one because I haven't watched I, the Tiger. It's, it's a competition, I guess. Yeah, I haven't watched the Tiger King. Tiger King. I haven't I watched it. Yeah, I, you tried watching. I it? tried. I couldn't get past the second episode. I was like, uh, maybe my attention span's not so good. Or my that. wife's watching it right now, but I'm not really. I'm not because we, we we when shows like that come out, I try to like find shows that me and her can watch together and shows sure. that I want to watch. Tiger King was one of the ones on the list uh, to try to watch, but I just. When I look at it and I look at the material, I'm just like, oh man, that is a bad rabbit hole to go down. So I'm glad you said that it's not that you couldn't get in because I can no. use that as fuel to, to fight the urge. But everybody and their brother seems to be watching that show. You know? I mean, I guess you're still working, right? So you're, yeah, you're so getting it, out of the house a little bit. So you, I mean, not to say you haven't been impacted by this, but I mean, yeah. it's a little different, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm fortunate. And when I go to work, we work 24-hour shifts, so minimum 10 days a month, I'm gone at the fire station and running calls. And you are an essential service, sir. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. We kind of you know? need you guys out there doing that, and I applaud you for doing that, but that's that's some necessary stuff there. Yeah, you know, and I'm just grateful to have it, but I always look at myself. I'm no different than the person right now stocking shelves at the grocery store or, you know, the whatever your skill set is. Sure. We all have a position. We all have a career in life. I chose this one. You know, sometimes I feel people put us on a pedestal that, you know, I personally don't think we deserve. I chose this profession. Nobody made sure. me do it, and – I look at myself just as equal as anybody that's working and trying to better themselves and better their family. You know, obviously well, that, it's a little bit more unique that. Yeah. When, the, when somebody falls over in the middle of a street, the guy that stocks buns is not going to have the urge to run over True. and check the, check the breathing. But you know right. what? Hey, but I will say that you're absolutely right about that. I mean, obviously the first responders of this country, man, they deserve everything. But I yeah. will say this. That is kind of an unsung hero. You know, it's all like a – like. I mean, I've been going to get groceries and stuff. Right? My wife will yeah. not leave the house. My wife was already a germaphobe to begin with, and so yeah. now she's like, nah, you go outside. I'm not going outside. She's I'm- been waiting for this. She's been training <laughs> oh, for bro, this bro, moment. Bro, when I come home, she makes me – she makes me change clothes. Like, she washes my clothes instantly after I go to the wow. grocery store. So, I, she's super germaphobe. And it's funny because I always used to just crack jokes on her for being a germaphobe. And now she just looks at me like, uh-huh. Told, told you. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, but I will I, – I, this whole thing I have thought about, like, um, people that work uh, at grocery stores, especially, like, the cashiers and stuff that are, like yeah. – I mean, literally, like – I mean, they're – they're not saving people in fires. They're not, you know, enforcing laws. They, they're not that level of, of, you know, 
doing something for our community. But the fact, I mean, how many hundreds of people are they seeing yeah. in a day? You know Absolutely. what I mean? Have you, you talk about an essential wearing, like, service? At least mine are wearing the gloves. I, I thought gloves. I, I thought I'd see some I've with the mask, but plexi- I haven't seen plexiglass. I have installed. heard of places installing yeah. the, the the plexiglass stuff. So, you so can do that. I, I don't. I won't say. I mean, obviously, I'm not trying to take away from what you do, but I mean, honestly, like those people deserve shoutouts. Like they're they're yeah. they're going to work. And they're and they're facing literally hundreds of people they're coming in contact with every yeah. single day. Hopefully, you know, I mean, obviously everybody's practicing social distancing and you know staying away and all that sort of thing. But um, but they, I don't know, man. I feel like they deserve some love. It's true, they yeah, do, and it's and it's crazy because you do bring that up. There's a, we're in a place where so many places have been letting people go. I don't know about you, but I've been seeing constant advertisements or people just saying, "Hey, if you if you want to be a stalker, if you can come work or whatever, the grocery stores are hiring." Right. You know, but it, it, like you said, it's not, uh, it's not something f- hip. Yeah. It's not something whatever. But if you got to do what you got to do to get money. some money, like there you go. But you are right. You are being out there in the public. You're out there and and seeing a lot of people. So you are kind of making yourself, uh, you know, um, more available to, to come in contact more with exposure. the virus or whatever. More yeah. exposure. I mean- but dude. I think those people so much because every time I go to the grocery store and can actually find something, I know it's because somebody's going out there and actually putting it on to the shelf for you and stuff. So I was going to say, now they're actually getting stock back in the stores. Did anything crazy happen like when all the panic buying was going on? Did, did you guys, no, we no. didn't get involved. I no think, crazy fights that broke out that you guys no, had to go? No, not anything that we did. You know, people got beat up or whatever. I know <laughs> over a some toilet paper or whatever yeah, but uh, it probably came close yeah. close somewhere <laughs> but i'm sure if you had a, a metro officer they'd probably have some pretty oh, cool stories for you i bet you're right but no you, you're absolutely right that those people i mean you just look at the dynamics and stuff you know they're exposed all the time you got the you know the bagger that's out the shop cart you know collector now they're washing those down more on right. and on and yeah you know at the end of the day pandemic or not i just always look at you know separating professions or whatever hey if you're doing the best that you can and no matter what your job is, and you're improving yourself, improving your family, I admire it. You know, I don't. You know, we're working on our day drinking. We're right definitely. Def- we've been dialing in the You've day drinking. You've been slowing it down, John. I haven't. I haven't seen you grab one for a moment. Well, I, yeah, I, let me, I didn't let want me to reach across you. I was trying to keep my social distancing, let sir. Me- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, let me help you there. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I was going to say the only panic buying that you've been doing, by the way, is what ammunition, right? You're- no, I wanted to, but it was all out. <laughs> <laughs> He's teasing me. I mean, now is the time where it's like it doesn't feel crazy to want to just stockpile like a thousand or so rounds of different caliber ammunition. <laughs> so five years of doing the MMA Roadshow, we've never had fire education. So I'm, I, I want to put the floor to you, sir, addressing the massive MMA Roadshow <laughs> audience. I mean, you know, obviously we're just everywhere all over the place. Right. If you could educate somebody quickly – on a tip or two of things that you've seen that you're like, man, people are – they're not doing this, and it would save a lot of lives if they would do this. What would you recommend? Fire education for the MMA fan. All right. So the most basic, simple thing, smoke detectors. Have yeah. them. Change your battery on your smoke detector. Well, hey, yeah. when the time change goes forward or backwards, do it then. Or if you – Well, that's a good reminder. So twice yeah. a year? Twice, twice a year. year. I mean, worst that's case scenario, reminder. on your birthday, buy – if you can only remember once a year – Buy your smoke detector or battery on your birthday. Man, who want, who? I mean, who yeah. doesn't want to spend their birthday changing the, the yeah. smoke detector battery? battery. Yeah. I will, and I will pitch, uh, I will pitch, uh, follow up with that. Uh, the I do volunteer work for the Red Cross. One of the biggest campaigns that the Red Cross does is fire alarm installations. Yeah, I bet if you really wanted, you could piggyback when you needed to get a fire alarm. When the Red Cross does their thing, and you could probably get a free. Oh, they hand out free fire alarm. Yeah, they go around and do free installs. All right. So yeah, smoke detectors. I mean, they get smoke they get. I'm, I'm not sure how it works out with uh, you know. 
how they get the funding for it. I'm sure it's part of whatever they get getting. But uh, yeah, they do big campaigns. It's like what Nevada's known for. Like they go out and do all these campaigns uh, to go out and put uh, smoke detectors and stuff. So yeah, for that sure. is a great tip. That smoke is great detectors. Tip. And when you hear that little annoying chirp that's going around in your house, you're looking around like, what's chirping? <laughs> yeah. That's the that's smoke terror smoke saying, hey, dude, <laughs> my battery's about to die. You need to change it. And then when the battery dies, then you don't then you don't hear it and you think oh I'm good I'm good yeah it's but good I mean most of them are you know in today's modern houses are hardwired in right. your but yeah. the perfect storm the power goes out that and then you don't have the battery backup so do that and then I guess the only other one that uh, definitely saves lives indirectly if you're unfortunate to I don't know you you were cooking and you just lost track of what you were doing and you went to bed and your kitchen caught on fire or whatever but keep bedroom doors closed especially at night where you're sleeping, it will prevent the spread of that fire. You'd be amazed at what a bedroom door, uh, uh, your garage door, all those things, why our garage doors automatically close or they're supposed to by code. All those things, you amaze what it can do um, to stop that spread and will save you. I know there's a lot of parents out there that want to hear their, you know, their kid, their newborn <laughs> baby crying or I want to have the door open in case somebody comes in and breaks in or whatever. Well, I could argue multiple ways against that from the, from the crime standpoint, but just from the fire standpoint, those two things would probably be your your biggest bets. Just smoke detectors and keep your bedroom doors closed. So, so as I, a like as, I was going to say, just as a matter of course, like when you're just around the house, like should like if you, I mean, obviously there's different reasons why you wouldn't, but if you can just keep every door in your house closed, should you just keep every door in your house closed? Uh, I think, you know, if they just got in the habit of doing it. Yeah. And I mean, there's other factors, your heating and cooling costs, because now you got stuff contained. I mean, that, you know, indirectly helps, but... I think nighttime is, you know, the the bigger factor just because yeah, if we're sitting attention. here right now and all of a sudden we're like, ooh, smell something burning, you know, yeah. where we're asleep, may or may not wake up to that smoke detector or maybe didn't change battery and now the fire. Yeah, because smoke won't wake you up, right? No. If you're, if you're sleeping, smoke will not wake you up. You know, uh, people generally in fires don't die from being burned up. It's pretty right. rare. They're, I mean, yeah, that could be an aftermath, but it's the, uh, the smoke inhalation, the, you know, you become hypoxic. And then when people become hypoxic you know that carbon dioxide starts taking over and now you don't have oxygen you got a lot of bad stuff cruising around you your brain needs sugar and oxygen to work you deprive it of one of those two things you don't think properly i didn't know that so you get you get co2 poisoning from smoke yeah, so basically? yeah you get the uh this that's what kills the people you know, i didn't know that yeah the carbon monoxide actually so that's what yeah uh, because i think of car- when CO, i think of carbon yeah. monoxide i think of cars obviously like yeah. automobile yeah. exhaust but just like a normal house fire i mean i, I don't know i, I yeah. realize to a lot of people listening to this right now they're probably like you sound so stupid but i'm sorry i know a lot about mma yeah but i guess i didn't really <laughs> think about that yeah. so just a normal house fire it's emitting co2 in the what's same your way. car doing it's causing a fire inside combustion. that combustion combustion so byproduct combustion, of combustion yeah. yeah so that's a byproduct of I didn't it know that and so you'll become hypoxic and then once it depletes like your oxygen in your average room is like 21.8%. And then once your oxygen content starts dropping down, 19, 18, this, it starts affecting how you think. And then as it goes through, and unfortunately, it's even happened to firefighters across, you know, if they get lost, they get trapped, and their bottle runs out. Now you run out of oxygen, they take their mask off. Now they get overcome by this. You can't think straight. You think you can, but you can. And that's, so that's what gets the people the most is the, the smoke inhalation. Now, if the fire spread, obviously they're going to be burned up, but... Most people aren't dying from actually burning up. They're dying because of the uh, the lack of oxygen, and you just can't think rationally. You there know, you go. Fire it. education. They roast it now. One more I was going to ask you because uh, other little tips, and I, I'm sure you'll know some of the stuff. Say I'm cooking in uh, the kitchen and I get a grease fire. 
Right. What's the closest thing at hand I should grab to help put out that? Because uh, I think some people might be surprised that some things are bad for grease fires. Where other water's things really bad. Grease water's fire really, really bad because you know you just think about oil and water. They don't really mix gasoline. So now you're just spreading it because that oil's just going to float on top, and you're just spreading it all over. So if it's just a simple little grease fire, and you got the pan and you got your little oven mitt or whatever, you can put a lid on it. You just smother it, take away the oxygen, and goes out. If you, they do make uh, fire extinguishers that are rated for grease fires. So you can probably get one of those, or shoot, you can throw some freaking flour on it or something. Yeah. You know, if you got the flour in the kitchen. I was gonna say flour, and I heard salt I is know another that. one that yeah. that does it as well because you are taking away. But yeah, the so just a salt shaker, just shaking. Like it, if you haven't have salt, like, like <laughs> well, a lot of people too have those just big bulk salt just, ones. Yeah. But yeah, but flour, yeah, you, you can throw it. flour. But on water, it. a lot of people think that oh, I see fire, I'm supposed to put water on it. But if you're cooking in your kitchen and it's a grease fire and it gets out of hand, gets on your counter, or whatever, the last thing you want to do is take a big old glass of water and splash it on there yeah because it's going to spread it yeah and so now that grease just went from this little pan to now your kitchen cabinet and still burning on that and then your cabinet it's just a snowball of yeah oh this wasn't a good idea all right so let's take the other the other uh career that you have there now i will advise right away if anybody says i want to chase a career as a cut man boy you better have a backup plan in place right it's like when people say i want to do <laughs> i want to do mma media i'm like Chase your dreams and do it. I'm like, yeah. but I'm just telling you keep right now. Keep your day job. Keep your day job. There's not a lot of great, you know, there's not a lot of great well-paying roles out there. So, I mean, there's a finite number of cutmen in the world. But if somebody did say just like, I think that's the coolest shit ever and I want to do it, what would you recommend to them in terms of how to educate yourself, how to, how to learn themselves, how to prep themselves for trying to chase that dream? You know, I do get asked that, you know, quite a bit, especially from my core. Hey, dude, I saw you on TV. That's pretty cool. How'd you get into it? How kind of, you know, people want to learn? And uh, so, again, it's pretty cool to be able to do it. You know, very grateful, fortunate. Uh, you got to learn how to, you know, if you're going to learn how to wrap hands, learn hand, you know, how to wrap hands for somebody that you trust, whether it's an, a boxing coach, you know, myself or anybody for that matter that has been around, well-respected, learn how to wrap hands. And you got to spend time in gyms. I mean, just because, all right, cool, I'm a, I'm a cut man. Well, all right, who knows that, you know? It's like... It's like a real estate agent. You get real estate license. I mean, okay, yeah. you got to advertise. You got to build that experience good point. up. You know, That's a good you, point. you don't just all of a sudden throw your name somewhere. So spend time in the gyms and getting experience. And a lot of work you'll have to do for free. And fortunate enough for me, because I have you know my uh, career as a firefighter that is able to work for you know guys doing their first boxing event and they're making five hundred dollars, eight hundred dollars. I'll do it for free. What am I gonna? This guy's making eight hundred dollars. He's got to pay his coach, taxes, everything else. Yeah. How could I say, oh, give me a hundred bucks? No, this is a win-win. You get a service, and I get the experience cool. from it. Yeah. You know, you, everything you got to start off on the low level. And I got, you know, very lucky that I was able to, I want to say, catapult into, you know, the big leagues pretty fast. But from 05 to to 2012, you know, 2010 started doing, you know, the Ultimate Fighters, and then 2012. I mean, you were talking to TJ earlier. I remember doing that show a couple times when he was on that and. I think I wrapped TJ's hands for one of his fights. And, uh, but you just got to start at the bottom, and you have to know that just doing it, you're not still going to make all this, you know, great amount of money, and you're going to do all these things. Uh, it takes time. Yeah. And uh, there's very few boxers that are out there making, you know, the big dollars that, you know, the, the teams that are working for them that are, you know, getting the, the high dollars. So 
chase your dreams if you want to do it. But if you think, hey, I'm going to learn how to rep hands, get the basics of working, you know, cuts, and all of a sudden I'm going to have this massive amount of work and I'm going to be rich and famous and everything else, it doesn't quite work that way. Yeah. yeah. I definitely can uh, see the crossover to MMA media. Like, you're going to do a lot of free work before you finally get <laughs> so something true, to get paid for it. But you're right. I think if you go in it with the mindset of uh, – if you're going to be happy knowing that you're building your skill set, that you're getting a trade, that you're just getting good at something that you're interested in, that's probably the right mindset to think of going into it. Like if you want to learn how to be a cut man and you want to get experience, you can find experience. But getting a marquee position like what you guys have, one, you're in a great city for it. You're the great town. Like a guy in Boise, Idaho <laughs> is probably not going to get the, the experience or the reps of somewhere out here. But doesn't mean you can't try to do it there, but just have the realization of, you know, if that's the market and that's where you're at, it's going to be tough to get the reps or get the skill like somebody but here. But, man, when you're committed to doing it, you know, like uh, a local referee that I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, Mark Smith, is, is a great dude. You know, he always talked to me about, like, going into gyms and basically, like, refereeing sparring sessions. Yeah, I never you know really what I mean? thought just about to that. Get, yeah. Just what to a get great Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's a great idea. I, I respect my. Not only does it, you know, help the the fighters out, get, like like you mentioned earlier, like going in and wrapping their hands for sparring sessions. Uh, that is so cool, man. Like yeah. you get that, you develop relationships. Number one, yeah. Uh, you you get the practice. Number two, and, and it just it's it's so it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. I just got lucky. Like I said, it start off, you know, boxing with Jeff Mayweather, kind of the least known out of the Mayweather family. Great guy, and he was my boxing coach out here. He introduced me to Stitch, gave me the foundation, and then Dewey Cooper being that first fighter opened the door, and shoot, Dewey been around boxing, K1, yeah. MMA. I mean, that just led to – Then I remember when Dewey was sparring with Chad Dawson, when Chad was uh, boxing Antonio Tarver, I became friends with Chad, and Chad would let me wrap his hands, you know, before he was sparring. And, you know, at that time, he's world champion boxer. Yeah, cool, no problem. And I'm like, hey, hope I'm not taking it too much time. He goes, those guys can wait. I pay them. You know, just wrap my hands. You're good. <laughs> you, know? you know, Mike Pyle, Gray Maynard, Jay That's Haran, awesome. those dudes, you know, okay, come in anytime. You want to come in for a pro practice? That's you know, when cool. I'd wrap the hand, they give me feedback. So without all these people. That's, yeah. That was the start of Extreme Couture. Yes, it was, yeah. I mean, that's there were some killers in there at that time. Yeah. Just, I mean, there's still killers in there now, but just every, that, yeah. that core group that started in uh, – so without those individuals supporting me, I wouldn't be here talking to you guys right That's now. Cool. Is, is Steve Mazzagatti still a firefighter? Yes, he is. Yeah, he's an engineer, so he's uh, he drives the apparatus. He's you know. I did and, not know that. Yeah. Yeah, Steve works for the county. He works with us. He's doing uh, timekeeping now. You know what the yeah. Uh, I was gonna say. Commission. I mean, it's look. Steve's such a nice guy. So he got the worst rap. I mean, listen. Did he make some mistakes as an official? Of course, everybody makes mistakes. Yep. Herb Dean's not flawless. Mark Goddard's not flawless. Yeah. John McCarthy everybody wasn't flawless. Made mistakes. Everybody made mistakes. But for whatever reason, he just had the wrath. Of of Dana White, and then once Dana was on him, man, it just it just. I mean, I remember it sucked so bad. I remember it got to the point where Mazagati, like, when he would like they would introduce him, you know, like Buffer would announce his name, like the crowd would just boo instantly, <laughs> and I felt so bad. And he seems like such a nice guy. I've never really talked to him outside of the sport, uh, but I I, I forgot that he was a uh, a firefighter. It just crossed my mind, and and as you said, I see him now doing uh doing like timekeeping and stuff for uh, for MMA events in in town. Yeah, That's yeah, cool. he's a he's a great guy. And he's been around, you know, boxing and Thai boxing his whole life. You know, Steve. Yeah, he still. I think he still referees kickboxing fights. If I'm not. Yeah, I don't know. Last time I talked to Steve, he wasn't doing it as often okay. because there weren't as frequent. And like he says, he goes, if you're not in there practicing it, you're going to lose a step. You know. Right. You know, he said it so. Um, again, I don't want to you know speak for him, but the last time he was just saying, you know, you look at, we don't have that many kickboxing. That is events true. Here we don't anymore. have much coming through. 
you know, when that, uh, you know, like Lions fight was popular there for yeah, a while. Yeah, they did quite a few. Great job. And then you don't see him, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, Mazzagatti, man. That was, I, I felt bad for him. I always felt like he was unfairly victimized a little bit. All right, listen, we talked about bad things. I want to throw out some quick recommendations, see if you guys got any too. So if you got any watching recommendations, because everybody's got time at home. So if you got any watching recommendations, throw them in. But I, I want to throw out two real quick. First of all, I've been recommending a lot of stuff on HBO lately. I don't know why they just been they've been coming they've been coming strong, man. I'm not I'm not a shill for HBO. I'm not getting sponsored by HBO, but they just came out with a documentary called The Scheme. I think it literally just came out this week, um, and I watched it already. It is awesome. It's about this dude. Um, it's a documentary. It's this dude named uh, Christian Dawkins is is the guy's name, but basically uh, there was an FBI investigation into uh, NCAA athletics. I don't know if you guys probably remember that story. Like, they, I mean, they had a big press conference in, in New York about, hey, we've, we've gone after uh, the NCAA and we found all this stuff. And this whole thing is, is about the investigation and the way the investigation was handled and who was targeted and all this stuff. And, uh, man, I really, really enjoyed the hell of it. So it's called The Scheme on HBO. I promise you. Uh, it's To me, I don't know, it was like the perfect cross of, like, sports and then crime and investigation, you know what I mean? It's not just a sports documentary. Um, it is awesome. So check out the scheme. Uh, Dan Wetzel is in it. Dan Wetzel is actually a, um, a, a journalist for Yahoo um, that covers all sports, but he does MMA from time to time. You'll see him at the biggest MMA events, and he's actually got a, a pretty prominent role as, as an expert in there. So it, cool. it, it was awesome. So check out the scheme on HBO. And then um, I'll give you one on ESPN+. Plus. And this is kind of maybe more of a personal flavor thing. Think I maybe had seen it before, but I might have been a few too many frosty beverages deep at the time. Uh, but I went back and watched it. Uh, ESPN uh, Plus has a thing. Uh, it's it's a, like a thirty for thirty short or whatever. You know, not like the full thing. Um, and it's on six man football in Texas. Uh, and it's literally just called six man football. I think is the name of it. Uh, but it was cool. It reminded me because I grew up in Texas, and obviously football is a passion there. And uh, six man in these little tiny towns, they. It's literally six aside football. It's like in both, most oh, wow. people play like both both ways, you know, because it's such small schools. Um, but it's a it's a I don't know it's, it's a cool little documentary that shows like rural Texas and you know how much football means and these people, uh, you know, growing up playing this different brand. And I had seen a little bit of it when I lived in Texas. Um, I think some of like the smaller like private schools and stuff. I had seen a couple six man games and it's cool because. People play both sides of the ball, but especially in these really small towns, uh, you know, obviously it's passion there. So I know you've always been a big fan of going both ways. Wow. wow. I just set myself <laughs> up did. for that I was one, like, dude. God, softballs. He just <laughs> tossed it right up there. <laughs> well, I will not recommend uh, Love Island. That is garbage, even though uh, if you like augmented people with lots of fake blown-up things, uh, I mean, it is I do. Your, it I is mean, I do. Shit. Um <laughs> One show I guess I'll throw out that's not norm my normal like sci-fi whatever is uh I don't know if you guys ever watch Forensic Files they have the newer version of Forensic Files too where it's uh I'm sure Mike doesn't watch Forensic Files that's, <laughs> that's, like, that's his life <laughs> that's his life <laughs> but no Forensic Files is cool it's just like crime dramas but uh they go back and it tells a story how uh crimes have been solved with just different forensic technologies and stuff you know old murders and things that get solved because the technologies have advanced themselves um. But it's cool because when I when I recently had surgery, uh, it was like trying to find stuff that would work on TV that worked for like mom who just turned 70, Agent H who loves like shit like Love Island or whatever, and then myself which likes whatever. I like cop dramas and all that sort of stuff. Forensics is, uh, Files is kind of that mix of that. It's like cop drama but it's science as well. 
and uh, but they have the the latest version, uh, Forensic Files two. It's like uh, when the first Forensic Files, a lot of the it's the show so old that it's all like uh, four by three shit. So when you watch it in the sixteen by nine, it's got like the black bars off to right, the side right. and stuff. So this one's more uh, a widescreen shot, new technology stuff. But nice. is it Netflix uh, or where is it? At? Uh, I watch it on. I'm on Sling, so I'm not even sure okay. what channel. Yeah, Maybe yeah. it is. I think the show's actually the original one has changed networks. Right. Um, but uh, just do a search on whatever. If you, uh, you're over the top, if you use it like me, it might be like HLN or um, one of those off-brand sort of networks and stuff. But Forensic Files. Even if you watch the old shit, try and find the new ones. The old ones are really cool too. So. Mike, forensic you, Files. You know you one that. Uh, I'm excited for that's coming out. I think it's April 19th on ESPN, The Last Dance. It's on uh, the Chicago Bulls familiar, with right. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the era with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson, the coach, Dennis Rodman. I mean, all I those. I just heard about this. Dude. I think it's one of like a, like a 10-part series or something. Yeah, I saw the trailer for it like a year and a half ago. I'm like, you're going to make me wait this long to watch this? Why are you doing this, you know? But that one is coming out that I'm excited for. Yeah. Uh, Talk about a team that everybody jumped on the bandwagon and was uh, like, "That's my team." You know everybody what? loved that Bulls team. I'll tell you what. Yeah. You know what that? Jo- uh, I I watched the other day. It's it's, it's, it is it's been out there for forensic files. It's been out there forever, but I watched it the other day. It's called Jordan Rides the Bus. It's on. Yes, ESPN. I just watched that too. Really good, man. To be honest, with you, obviously, it's about the time when when Jordan walked away from basketball, went to do minor league baseball, and I'm sure we all remember that. Yeah. Um. But I, what I didn't realize, what I really learned, um, from it, and and I don't have spoiler. I mean, the thing's been out for like 15 years. But first of all, I didn't realize that how much the de- the death of his father played a role in him decide because you know at the time we're all like why is the world's greatest basketball player going to play baseball yeah and it had a lot of it had to do with uh you know the the relationship that he had with his father and i guess he had made a promise to his father and so he went to go chase that and so i thought that was it, it made sense of it more because it just seemed so crazy at the time yeah. and then it was also really interesting and, it, and I'm, again i don't think i'm necessarily giving anything away but it's worth watching that at the conclusion of it they say you know yeah it was this circus show that but like by the end of the year he'd actually become decent there yeah, you know like of course better. he was overwhelmed right he's such a phenomenal athlete that he kept adapting and but at that point it wasn't the big story it wasn't the thing that mattered anymore but yeah so you know at the beginning of the year every camera boy it was crazy they showed like a press conference remember that remember that scene there's like right 300 cameras i mean it was like the most media people i've ever seen packed in one area like when he was announcing that he was going but they were saying like by the end of the year you know like Nobody's paying attention to the story anymore, and he'd yeah. actually become a decent ball player. So yeah, that's just worth watching anyway. No, absolutely. And I guess for local fans here in Vegas, it's on Amazon. Valiant, the story on the Vegas Knights. Oh, I haven't seen this. That's a great – I mean, it just talks about, you know, the start of the of the Knights, the owner, where he's from, his military background, and just things like that, and just how the media is like, oh, a hockey team in Nevada? Yeah, yeah. the desert? <laughs> what are they thinking? Go. Oh, all right. They won a few games. It's not going to happen. And then just – I mean, it yeah. ties in, you know, the tragedy of, you oh, know, yeah, 1 October. October. And it's it's on Amazon. What's it called, Valiant? Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. You get on Amazon Prime if you're – even if you're not a Knights fan and you got nothing else yeah. to watch, watch. Yeah, everybody's a, got extra I remember time. as that it's season happened, story. everybody was like, dude, this makes for such a great story. <laughs> it was so funny. I'll tell you, it was so funny. So, I mean, obviously, hockey tickets are expensive, you know. And, uh, Bizarre, you know, for, yeah. for a family of, of three on one income, you know, it's not easy to just buy three tickets. But I remember telling my wife, I'm like, listen, expansion team, 
we're not going to the first game. But I'm telling you, by March or April, they're going to suck. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's going to be people just dumping tickets, and yeah. we'll go to a game. Yeah, it was like the third year before we ever got to a game. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? It was crazy. It was crazy, man. They, they were good. So, All right, cool. There were some tips for you. Uh, hopefully everybody enjoys it. A uh, little personal news, not the greatest way to end the show, but I do want to give everybody a heads up. Uh, talking about coronavirus and the way things have impacted everything. Uh, myself and Cold Coffee both were part of a uh, company-wide furlough program at, at Gannett, which is the parent company of USA Today. So uh, this is not something that just affected MMA Junkie. It's not something that just affected the two of us. Uh, literally, I mean, tens of thousands of people that work under the Gannett banner, which is a huge media company, mm -hmm. uh, were impacted by this uh, furlough program. We're basically um, we're going to be taking uh, – Two weeks off in April. Unpaid time off. Um, unpaid time off. Yeah, we're going to be taking some unpaid time off uh, over quarter two, so April, May, and June. Uh, I just share that with you, so if you see any – if you wonder why maybe you don't see – Ken Hathaway's byline on MMA Junkie for a week, or you don't see my byline on MMA Junkie for a <laughs> they week. They don't see my name on the byline well, for often. I, yeah, no, if I'm you're looking <laughs> for my byline, man, you're bored. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't see it or you don't see us necessarily, maybe it's, uh, you know our name is prominent or whatever, that's kind of what's going on, and it literally is affecting everybody on our staff. Um, so it's the whole team. It's, it's not just us being singled out. So I just want to share that with everybody. It won't affect the MMA Roadshow. Um, we are outside of the Gannett banner. We're going to continue. Get to, mm -hmm. You cannot stop us from drinking frosty beverages and talking about MMA. We would have broke that damn rule anyways. Damn right, man. You're not stopping this streak. <laughs> so, anyway, not fun uh, for sure for us personally. Uh, not fun for anybody under the Gannett umbrella. Uh, but uh, it is what it is. It's the reality that I think everybody's dealing with right now, man. This thing is uh, this thing is wild. And uh, as we've been saying all along, it's changing every day. But we will carry on, and I believe the team will be back to full strength before you know it, hopefully Everything will be we'll much have some better. Fights. Hopefully we'll have some fights to talk Hopefully about Hopefully we'll have some damn fights to talk about, whether it's April 18th, whether it's May 1st, whether it's June. I don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, but when it does happen, when we have some fights to talk about it, I assure you that we will be there. In the meantime, we've taken enough of your time, Mike. I really appreciate you stopping by, man. It's been no, way it's great too to long. be here, and thanks again. And uh We'll do it. Hopefully, it doesn't take a, another pandemic to make it happen again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Welcome anytime. Yeah. Just bring beer. <laughs> and for everybody else, we'll just say thanks for listening.